Hello and welcome to the Weird Geeks Movie Channel and our Star Wars Retrospective Podcast, where every Wednesday and every Saturday we'll be covering a new installment in the classic franchise. Warning, this podcast contains strong language and spoilers throughout. Go to weirdgeeks.com to check out our other podcast series, Twitch streams, contact details, and news on our very own feature films that are currently in production for our publisher, We Are Tessellate. Weird Geeks is not affiliated with any of the rights holders of the films referenced, and no infringement is intended. Geeks! 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 Hello and welcome back to the We Are Geeks Star Wars show, where every single whenever Lucasfilm and Disney decide they want to hold themselves out and bleed some more marketing merchandise money, we will review the newest Star Wars movie. I'm your host, Al. I'm not your host, I'm your co-host, Al White, but joining me is actual host, Alexander Chad. It's good to be back. And Christina Masterson. It's been so, so long, guys. To, let's just be fair. We're just lucky you're here. Thanks for, thanks for coming, <laughs> I'm glad I was able to show up this time. <laughs> we'll get to that. If you're new to us, hello, welcome. Please patch on out to wearegeeks.com or just go onto your podcast app, onto your BlackBerry, onto those old Nokia phones and type in We Are Geeks. You can find us, you can subscribe to us and you can rate us. It helps us out a whole bunch because we do all these podcasts for free. We don't do patrons. We don't do banner ads. And by the love of the Sith, we're not going to try and sell you any <laughs> Sith hoodies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It really is. This is really just like a Rorschach test. <laughs> Word association game. Every single Friday, we have a horror show that goes up. You can listen to that right now. I'm going for all of the slasher movies of the 80s that I have deemed worthy with, with Katie Watson and who else? Shannon. She's doing that and crying a lot which is fantastic and we've got a whole bunch of other series you can go back and listen to so why not do it because it's christmas time what else are you gonna do talk to your family no eat a sandwich eat some what do you have in america pie do you have mm, have some pie pie have some pot roast <laughs> green pot beans roast. you guys still like ham don't you you don't do turkey as turkey's more thanksgiving right and ham is yes. more christmas correct okay. Well, screw that. I'm doing turkey. Well, what about Australia, Alex? What's the uh, food of choice? Turkey. Well, growing up, we would have turkey, ham, and then prawns and seafood. (laughs) You've never never had turkey, ham? Turkey, ham is pretty amazing. Oink, oink, gobble, gobble. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Happy Christmas, guys. Merry uh, Christmas. We've got a whole bunch of podcasts that are going on this month. You're going to be able to listen to um, some of us talk about the games coming out in 2020 and what we're excited about. Some of us talk about what movies are coming out in 2020 and what we're excited about. And then in January, we are also going to have our fantastic debacle that are the end of year lists where as many of us as possible get together and fight it out and until some of us at least one of us dies last year it was nate r.i.p i think um, nate died two years year? ago <laughs> oh he did die two years ago laura died last year she said to us <laughs> who will it be this year nobody Good knows question. yet very excited although we're doing it from the safety of skype so if people die then it will have to be organized it won't be a crime of passion it'll be a planned kill you can basically this month really pick your flavor when it comes to the We Are Geeks podcasting content. Yeah, because the horror show is going to keep going up as well. It's not going to stop. You and I did a podcast last week, wasn't it, where we were talking about trailers and Pornhub and things? Yep. 
don't know what we're talking As about. As we do. I forget. I blacked out. Oh, in January, we'll also cover those Pornhub state-by-state lists that America will release because they're <laughs> always enlightening. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Christina, Pornhub released all their stats of like what the searches are and what the trending things are. Oh, God. And it's fascinating. Fascinating. Normally in America, it's something to do with like step it's like it's basically related to people it's like stepsister or step for like like with this year is all lesbian lesbian was doing well classic although yeah. number classic. two that's new trend <laughs> was aliens oh yeah. which is actually female driven that one females have been searching for that but anyway you can hear about that on our other podcast <laughs> so on weird. our Pornhub podcast Ew. Yeah. you can hear about the egg laying Ew. yeah I was, talking, I was talking to my friend lee about this and he didn't know about it i was like you just google it Egg laying? I do not know this. This I don't want to know it. No. Girls are really into it. It's like a common. Well, apparently you're all into it, Christina. I don't know. You might be part of driving up those ratings. Gross. Uh, Egg laying? I could only imagine. Ooh. And then there's some birthing involved as well. Anyway, what are we talking about? (laughs) Star Wars. Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. If that didn't convince you to subscribe or rate to us, I don't know what will. We are back, guys. It has been a long fucking time. We haven't been able to do this since Solo, which was way back. Not this year, last year, and not at Christmas even. When was that? March? May. May. April, May, I think. It felt so long ago. Which is ironic because when Solo came out, we just had The Last Jedi and it felt not so long. It felt arguably too close. Mm -hmm. I still don't understand why they didn't just keep with it. Let's just release them every Christmas. Um, But hey. Here we are. Although Alex and I at least have been a little bit bathed in Star Wars because we've been doing The Mandalorian. The last episode mm-hmm. goes up just after Christmas, isn't it? Yep. On the 28th. We're going to pitch something to you at the end of this podcast. Uh, oh, for no. extracurricular homework. But we'll see how you feel when we get to the end of this. But we're okay. not here to talk about that right now. We're here to talk about the rise of Skywalker. It gets a 6.9 on the old IMDb's. And where does that rate so far, Al? 6.9 with the oh, Don't ask me these questions, questions, man. I don't fucking Let know. me go check. You keep going. It's got a 58% of Rotten Tomatoes. We should be clear, we're reviewing this basically the day after it came out officially. So things are still pretty early on. It's initial kind of like reviews where people weren't liking it. The critics weren't liking it and they were being pretty mean about it. It's since had a little bit of an upturn, upswing. Like there have been people who supported it, a lot of medium reviews as well. But I don't think this has had the passionate supporters that some of the others have had, but it hasn't been slammed like Solo. And critically, Lost Jedi was loved by the critics like it was really praised that film yeah and it has a 7.1 last jedi has 7.1 on imdb and force awakens has a score of 7.9 and just to be clear those are audience ratings on imdb and they do tend to start high and then they come a little bit lower and then they settle whereas rise of skywalker is in its opening couple of days so who knows yeah anybody's guest Alex, you are going to be leading us through the story, but I'm just going to do us the little opening. We don't need to do the year that was, thankfully, because we're in the year that was, guys. We know what's happening. This is the year that is. (laughs) It's the year that is. Although technically we're at the end of it, so we could have, but fuck it. Who cares? This is the longest car summary I've ever had to do for any of our shows. So hold your breath. Here we go. The Rise of Skywalker, directed by J.J. Abrams, who people will know, of course, from Lost Alias. He directed Mission Impossible 3, Star Trek, Star Trek Into Darkness, Super 8, and The Force Awakens. He returns here to close out the trilogy. Written, this is where it gets a little bit sticky. (laughs) Initially written 
story elements at least by Derek Connolly. He's Colin Trevorrow's writing partner. He worked with him on Safety Not Guaranteed, Jurassic World, Jurassic World 2 Fallen Kingdom. He did Kong Skull Island, Detective Pikachu, and he's doing Jurassic World 3 and Metal Gear Solid. It was also written, yes, by Colin Trevorrow, um, who was originally to going to direct this movie, but we'll get to that. Safety Not Guaranteed, Jurassic World, The Book of Henry, and Jurassic World 3. It was then rewritten and reimagined, as it were, by Chris Terrio, who's written Argo, Batman vs. Superman, Justice League 1 and 2, apparently. I didn't even know that had been announced. J.J. Abrams as well, of course. DP'd by Dan Mindell. He's done a whole bunch of stuff. Did Shanghai Noon back in the day, Mission Impossible 3, Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness. He did John Carter, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, The Force Awakens, Zoolander 2, The Cloverfield Paradox and Pacific Rim Uprising. Real mixed bag. Several of those films I really hate. <laughs> Real mixed bag. But he works with Abrams a lot. Music, of course, John Williams. The only note I feel we have to say about him is he is 86 years old. And I don't know if you guys spotted it, but we'll get to it later. He has a cameo in this film. Does he really? Oh, I miss that. He does. All right, here we go. Starring Daisy Ridley is Ray Palpatine. Spoilers. Adam Driver. What did you just say? <laughs> what did you Adam Driver just as Kylo say? Ren or Ben, depending on his mood. John Boyega as Finn, Oscar Isaac as Poe Dameron, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, Domino Gleason as General Hux, Junus Suatamo as Chewbacca, Lupita Nyong'o, how do you say her name? Nyong'o? Nyong'o, yeah. As Maz Kanata, Greg Grumberg as Snap Wexley, Kelly Marie Tran as Rose, sort of. We've got Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, Carrie Fisher as General Leia Orgama. We've got Harrison Ford as Han Solo. We have a new face with Richard E. Grant as General Pride, right? We haven't had him yet? Nope. Um, of course, Richard E. Grant, if you're British, legendary actor from Withnail and I, Gosford Park. Americans might know him from the recent Can You Ever Forgive Me? I love him from a cheesy little movie called Jack and Sarah which everyone should go watch. Uh, it's terrible and I love it. But it's got like every <laughs> incredible English actor in there. Like it's, it's insane. We've got some new faces. We've got Naomi Aki as Jana. She is in Lady Macbeth, which is one of my favorite films the last few years. She's mm. also going to be in The End of the Fucking World Part 2, that Netflix show, which isn't uh, a yeah. Netflix show. Yep. I just put it out. Kerry Russell as Zori Bliss. She was Felicity in J.J. Abrams' oh. first TV show, Felicity. <laughs> she was also in Mission Impossible 3 and Dawn of the Planets. Uh, I didn't know. Did you know that was her? Yes. Yes. Well, only because I looked it up. I knew that was her going into it at the end when the credits rolled. Bethany was like, where was Carrie Russell? And I was like, the woman with the mask. Oh, see my her gosh. Eyes I was wondering why they didn't show her. So we got two Felicity stars on here. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Snap is Greg Grunberg. Oh, is he? Oh, okay. Good to know. Yeah. And then we've got Dominic Monaghan as Beaumont. Then we've got, returning for the first time, Ian McDermott as Emperor Palpatine and Billy D. Williams as Lando Carissian. And then we've got the voices of Shirley Henderson as Babu Freak. Shirley Henderson was from Harry Potter as Moaning Myrtle. Uh, she was oh, also in Train Spotting. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's pretty horny Moaning Myrtle. She's a terrifying little flirty thing. Super terrifying. <laughs> We've got Train Spotting 1 and 2. She's in 24 Hour Party People. Bridget Jones's Diary. She's a you know, like quite well established British actress. We've got JJ Abrams himself as the voice of Dio, our new droid. And we also have the voices of 
Deep breath, everyone. Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker. Frank Oz as Yoda. Freddie Prince Jr. as Kanan Jarrah. As Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Jennifer Hale as Ayla Secura. Andy Serkis as Snoke. James Earl Jones as Darth Vader. Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu. Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn. And other people, too. Wow. Yep. A lot of people from some of the animated series, but I'll get into that yeah. later. All the peeps, all the peeps. Budget of that, nobody knows. It's estimated 250 to $300 million. People think it maybe cost a little bit less than The Last Jedi, which I know was like 320 I think it was, but more than Force Awakens. That's the estimate, but who knows? And obviously, we don't have the box office yet. It is projected to do decent, but not do as well as some of the previous ones have. But we'll see, because Solo was projected to do all right, and that didn't work out great. So. But I think this one's going to do fine. I think it'll do fine. All right. So uh, just to be clear, I let's very quickly talk about just how we went into this. I very purposely did the reverse Alex. I decided I wasn't going to watch any trailers for this. I saw the first trailer when it came out a long time ago. And I was like, that's enough. I'm not that excited. I'm not that not excited, but I know I'm in. Either way, my trepidation, to be honest, came from when it went from Colin Trevorrow, not that I think he necessarily would have done it better, but I was liking getting a different director for each of these Star Wars films. So when it went back to J.J. Abrams, my trepidation was, I know what J.J. does. He's always solid, but he's never done a film that really, you know, blows me away. And I wanted something weird and interesting for the last one, just a different flavor. So that was what I was worried about. I went to the midnight screening with our podcast host and friend Haruka Abe here in London which was like a day earlier for some reason than it came out in America. I don't know. And it was pretty packed. We're in a big screen. It was about, I don't know, two thirds full, I guess. Very enthusiastic audience, but respectful. It wasn't like Endgame where people are cheering throughout moments. People like cheered at the beginning, which I led the clap as the Lucasfilm logo came up because I was like, we need some fucking energy in this theater. So I'm going like, to mm-hmm. make sure people have the energy. But then everyone was just very respectful throughout, which was nice. And then I actually went back and saw it again the next day because my friend Tom couldn't go that night because he had worked the next morning. So I went with him in the afternoon the next day in the Arts Picture House here in the center of London, which is lovely, lovely audience. Always, always very respectful there. Got to see it there with the proper like, Atmos sound and all that stuff. Both times 2D. I didn't opt for 3D either time. And yeah, then I pretty much just did that so I could make some notes a second time and text Alex to smugly say, I've seen it twice. (laughs) 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 What about you guys? How did you see this movie? Christina? Did you see this movie, Christina? (laughs) (laughs) I was supposed to see it with Alex at the Landmark on Pico at, I guess, six o'clock, but I thought it was seven. So coming from where I'm living it's really really far in rush hour traffic so i wasn't able to make it but luckily i was Can able I just to add find that <laughs> for our listeners christina called me 20 minutes before the movie started i said alex <laughs> i thought it started at seven and i was like no it starts in 20 minutes and she's like can you save the ticket for me and i was like you're not going to make it here in time she's like just save it for me <laughs> <laughs> Put it out, will call. I was a part of that group chat, but I did, wasn't obviously there when the penny dropped for Christina. And I'm guessing it must have been that moment when Alex texted because Katie was texting me, going, "Alex is like just clapping constantly." <laughs> and then Alex texted in the group chat to say, "Film starting at 20 minutes." Like so excited, and I'm guessing that's when the panic set in for Christina. Yes, panic. I just went to my friend's house to go pick her up. I was waiting for her to finish getting ready, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, we need to leave now if we're gonna get there." And then the 20 minutes dropped and my heart sunk. 
It was, I got the wet sweats, everything. It was horrible. <laughs> But luckily, we were able to find tickets at the Arclight at 7.15. <laughs> And they were decent? Like, you got a good seat? It was fine. Yeah, we were kind of like in the front middle. Like, not in the front front and not in the middle, but kind of like in between the middle and the front. I know you like to sit right at the back, Christina. So Yeah, I do. For you. Yeah, <laughs> and I didn't get to sit by the aisle, you know, so I couldn't do a potty break or anything. Yeah, Christina needs Torture. quick access to toilets. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm really honestly, because when you texted that, honestly, for a second, I was like, there's no fucking way you're getting like tickets now on the day it's like coming out, like in America, in LA. So I'm just glad you got them. I mean, there are enough cinemas in America. There is always something, I feel. At the Arclight, it was playing almost like every five minutes. So, oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That's why. Luckily, I, mean, again, I was when lucky. I say my, When I say my cinema was like, you know, two thirds full. Yeah, they were doing the same. There was so, it wasn't like there's a midnight screening. Is there are 10 midnight screenings and they start between 12 and 12.30, basically. Some in 3D, some in more luxury, smaller theaters, and then some in, yeah, the big old ones, which is what we did. Were the people respectful or were they talking all over shit? They were clapping a lot, but not too much. Just every once in a while, people would start clapping or laughing really loudly. It wasn't bad. That was just you hearing Alex from the other side. Of the <laughs> no, yeah. And I, I didn't watch any of the um, trailers or anything before. So I, I had no idea what to expect. So Alex, I know you hate to watch the trailers for Star Wars because you're all, you know, you like to just go in blind. Uh, how did that go this time? Yeah. So this time I watched every trailer, every TV spot. I think part of my reason for that was with Twitter nowadays and with some of the reaction of the last or since some of the reaction of the Disney-made Star Wars films, you just get such polarizing views and like hate in this sort of Star Wars fandom that becomes really toxic and just depressing and tiring. And it just annoys me. So I kind of wanted to take the approach of, you know, thinking of as a kid, all I wanted was more Star Wars content and I've got it now. Like I'm getting all these films, cool series. So I was like, I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to embrace that excitement and ignore what people are saying whether it's about the previous films or what they think this film's going to be about and i'm just going to get really excited about it and i'm going to watch the trailers and and have no sort of expectations other than having that sort of pure joy of i'm going to get to see a new star wars film so i went into it with that attitude and so yeah like you al once the lucas film came up started clapping the rest of the cinema started clapping as well and there were moments throughout the film where people would cheer at, at certain characters it certainly didn't have the energy of when we went and saw endgame on opening night as far as like people cheering for stuff but i was fine with that like i i saw a tweet today where a guy wrote something let me just read it here quickly I felt the movie was refreshingly devoid of laugh and applause breaks that marvel have made mainstream and i was like thinking a fucking movie shouldn't have applause breaks. Like, and it was funny, like, I think I said this to you when I watched Endgame again recently, Al, where I was like, actually, those moments did feel like they were, like, held for a moment for applause. And I kind of think that's funny and weird. So, anyway, that's how I went into this film. I was just very, very excited. 
Yeah, and had watched most of the trailers. I think there was one that was floating around for about a week ago where it was like Kylo Ren meets Palpatine. And I was like, that's the only, that's the only one I'm not going to watch. Yeah, I mean, I literally went in knowing other than obviously there's the cackle right at the beginning. Obviously, knew the Emperor was coming back from that cackle in the first trailer even, which for me was even too much. It's like, I don't need to know that. And I had heard a tiny rumbling from those first reviews that it wasn't great. But that's like, I, didn't, I wasn't reading them. I was trying not to see anything at all. And yeah. I'd heard a tiny thing from J.J. Abrams saying he was going to piss off some fans by introducing some new powers or whatever. That was about it. That's kind of all that I knew. And other than, yeah, the cast and everyone saying, this is it. Like, we're done. Like, we're not coming back for any more. And then me having heated arguments with Tom and Haruka, who were like, obviously, they're fucking coming back for more because Disney like money. But we'll get into the end of this, whether we think that they will ever return or not. I was worried about you watching the trailers and the TV spots because as they more as as they started coming out they were doing more and more VOs of the emperor and I was like Al hates the emperor <laughs> like I do hate and, like, and I was like how is he going to feel about this and some of the lines in the trailers although I realized in the film there was one that was tweaked in the trailers that wasn't actually said in the film. Some of it was just really on the nose. And I was like, oh, God, if Al watches these and hears the Emperor, he's going to fucking flip. So I'm glad he didn't. I do want to make clear those for everybody. So stick to the end because if we want to and we don't have to, Christina, don't panic. But if we want to, I know Alex has gone back to a bunch of the recent Star Wars films. I don't know how many. I have as well. We will obviously be slotting this one into our lists. for, And it's always hard, you know, when you've just come out of a movie, things will need time to settle. But that's why also when a new one comes out, we get to kind of rejudge the old ones if we want to. I know Alex potentially has some things that might move. I might have some things that might move. So we will be kind of like briefly kind of going through our list. I have them written down as they were before so we can decide how much they're going to change or not it's like you say alex i do think we go in as much as we can with a fair heart like you and i in particular if people go back to the last jedi they'll hear that we you and i weren't big fans of that movie necessarily we like certain bits of it and other bits we really had troubles with but we're not a part of that nasty phantom <laughs> how people get about that movie at all yeah and on yeah. the flip side of that everybody seems to well i keep meeting people who now love it but everybody publicly seemed to hate solo and all three of us really enjoyed that movie a whole bunch while recognizing as a Star Wars film, it has many problems, but just as a movie, we really, really liked it. So I do think we're pretty fair. If people are new to us for this podcast, we don't have allegiances, really. We kind of just go in and try and judge it as it is. And do go back if you are new to us. You can listen to our Star Wars wrap up from before, which takes you through our brief feelings and everything. And then listen to the end of Solo because we do go back in as we rejudge stuff then. All right, Alex. Do you want to take us through this fucking beast of a movie, which actually is like an hour shorter than Endgame? <laughs> yeah. But wait, should we start yeah, off with it, a clap? Yeah. Oh, I'm so so sorry. That's true. <laughs> cool. no, 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 yeah. <laughs> what? Wait, I was skipping the gun, wasn't I? Uh, skipping the gun? That's not it. Is that a thing? Jumping, well, the, jumping gun, the gun. Jumping the gun. Jumping the gun. Can you jump a gun? What's that about? I don't know. That's it's just the same. Um, that is like <laughs> the starter's gun in a race. It's jumping that gun. Oh, of course it is. You should never jump a gun in a Star Wars because then you get shot. Alex, can you explain to us a little bit about how this movie got made and why Colin Trevorrow isn't at the helm? Yeah, so I think right at the beginning, Disney had its three directors planned out for this film. We had JJ was going to take the first one, Ryan Johnson was going to take the second, Colin Trevorrow was going to take the third. And we've talked about this out. That blows my mind is that it seems Disney gave each director, writer, creative control of each film. Basically sort of, you write the first one. The thing that blows my mind is that there didn't seem to be an overall plan, as far as I know, and from what I've read, 
of like, this is the arc that we're going to follow. And you creatively and individually can do what you want within this kind of framework. It all seemed very much like, yeah, you write one and then you pick up where that person left off and try and join the dots, which just blows my mind and kind of gives me a reason to understand why they got here. You know, and I think back to George Lucas, he may not have had any idea of it being a trilogy when he started, but he had a rough idea of his themes and his stories and some of the characters. And there's a stronger continuity of where he was building towards, I feel. So anyway, Colin Trevorrow was attached to this film. Now there's various stories that float around on the internet. And I was looking them up today before to kind of get a grasp on what is true and what isn't true. Some stories say, suggest that Colin Trevorrow was having difficulties writing number three after The Last Jedi because he had huge creative differences in the fact that he wanted to keep Luke Skywalker alive. He wanted Snoke to be an integral part of his third film and essentially couldn't find ways to to do that because <laughs> they had been killed in Last Jedi and struggled to write episode nine from that point. But from what I understand, that seems to be more fan rumors than anything else. So more sort of legitimately sourced articles that I've read suggest that him and his writing partner had submitted several drafts to Kathleen Kennedy and essentially she wasn't liking the direction they were going in. They weren't really meeting in the middle and she wasn't approving of them, so she fired him. And this is coming off the back. This happened right around the same time that Lord Miller was sacked from Solo. So it was all within like <laughs> a crazy time frame, And I remember us talking about this at the time of just like, what is going on? Disney are a mess because they're just sacking everyone. They don't know what they're doing, what is happening. Now, there are some stories that Ryan Johnson was approached to do episode nine, but that he felt that he sort of didn't have the time and energy off the back of Last Jedi and then going into Knives Out that he would be able to do this. So J.J. Abrams was approached. And I think he was hired like three days after Trevor was fired. Now, he said that he didn't expect to be on board for this film, but he was really excited. And here's, here's a quote from him. He said, I had a bunch of ideas from the beginning back on seven of where the story would go. I just never in my wildest dreams thought I would have a chance to execute them. So I think this quote is really interesting and we'll get into how JJ takes his ideas from seven what he takes and uses or doesn't use from The Last Jedi and what he brings into this film. Because I think some of it is very clear and very obvious. The ideas that he was like, like his direction where he would have taken it if he had done the whole thing. So yeah, that's sort of where we've ended up. When I went the second time with Tom, he came out and he was like, okay, I was telling him a little bit of that. And he was like, did they not have a showrunner like Kevin Feige? And I was like, well, I mean, I guess Kathleen Kennedy is the showrunner basically, isn't she? Basically, yeah, you would, yeah, I guess so. But again, I feel like, I mean, Kevin Feige seems to have had the vision of that overall arc and like how to fit everything in. And, and that for me just still blows my mind that they've come into this and they could have just from the very beginning been like, this is the new trilogy. It's like, okay, they didn't like, because George Lucas obviously had a framework for these films. He had talked about it in the past of potentially making these three episodes and I think had a rough outline. There was extended universe 
canon that was part of that rough outline that he had, but then they obviously dismissed all of that stuff. I think they didn't really consult with George Lucas. Anyway, I just feel it's crazy that they didn't just sit down at the very start and be like, okay, what's the basic story here? We just spent billions on buying the biggest franchise probably of all time. Let's just, and and at a time when Disney were in trouble, albeit they just bought Marvel, so, you know, they were were on the up and up. Maybe think about what you're going to be doing and plan it out as meticulously as Marvel has proven works. Because again, we talk about it a lot on this podcast, but hate them or love them, the MCU know how to plan out something. Uh, and execute that plan and i think that is the most mind-boggling thing here is yeah we walk into rise of skywalker and you have rumors of whatever george lucas's original part seven eight and nine were going to be which clearly these are not we then have what jj abrams originally sort of had imagined but never thought he would actually get to carry out then you've got ryan johnson coming in and doing his own complete thing with it also not thinking that he was going to have to follow on from that. Then you got Colin Trevor and his writing partner coming in and trying to like, you know, how do we basically bridge all of these elements to make a satisfying finale? And then JJ suddenly coming in, already having a story from Colin and his writing partner and realizing, all right, how do I patch this back to what I originally wanted with all the pieces that are here? Yeah, in a fucking, what is it? Yeah, $250, $300 million movie. That's a crazy slapdash way to approach it. As the last part of this really, of you know, of the Skywalker saga, apparently. Anyway, so yeah, very strange way to come into this important movie. I'm not going to reveal anything about my feelings, obviously, as none of us are with the movie. But I will say one thing that all the people I went with to see this movie came out and said, whether they loved this movie or hated this movie or anything in between, everyone was saying this isn't a trilogy. Like, this doesn't feel like a trilogy because of that exact thing. Because there was a lot of very strange parts from like each film does feel like it has its own identity which is for better or worse we're gonna go through that right now alex take us into that opening scroll presenting the rise of skywalker so we start off with 21st century fox fanfare oh no that's the original trilogy star wars did you cheer when the star wars logo came up as well like with the opening No, I just cheered for the Lucasfilm one, and then everyone was quite quiet for the Star Wars one. I think I gave it a woo! (laughs) I don't even know, but I just cheered. (laughs) You just screamed. You cheered that you had made it. You made it to the film. (laughs) It's true, it's true. (laughs) Okay, so our opening crawl, which I'll quickly read to you. Episode 9, Rise of Skywalker. The dead speak. The galaxy has heard a mysterious broadcast, a threat of revenge in the sinister voice of the late Emperor Palpatine. General Leia Organa dispatches secret agents to gather intelligence, while Rey, the last hope of the Jedi, trains for battle against the diabolical First Order. Meanwhile, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren rages in search of the Phantom Emperor, determined to destroy any threat to his power. Guys, thoughts on the opening crawl? That gets the job done. I didn't really think about it. Tom came out and said he really liked it because he was like, that's very succinct. And it's very much like the opening line sounds like a 1930s like war. It's like, the dead speak. <laughs> it's almost like so like kind of cheesy in a weird way. But I kind of like it. My only thing is this sets up the idea that everybody is aware that Emperor Palpatine's back. But then people are going to discover that he's back throughout this movie, which confused me. Yeah. Also, if you notice here, there's a lot of throwbacks to previous films with titles and words like revenge last hope new hope phantom emperor all that sort of stuff i Um, saw it and 
I think I was so frazzled by the end. I was like, oh, shoot, I'm supposed to be reading this. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for, thanks for reading it, Alex. Well, at least you were in the right movie. Yes, <laughs> occurred, it's true. It occurred to me when I left and I said to Tom, can you imagine like when they, when George and presumably other people had, you know, some say in this stuff as well, the editor and whoever else. When they decided that moment, how, A, how long the gap is between <clears throat> a galaxy far, far away and then before Star Wars comes in, that gap before Star Wars comes in always remains the same. And then when you get the crawl, the fact that the crawl has to go all the way into the <laughs> distance before we're allowed to start the movie. That was a decision where nowadays you would never do that. And someone at some point decided that. And then all of these rules have just been stuck to. Like the, the fucking font, the color of the font, like all yeah. this stuff. Did they have any idea that 40 years later... People are still going to be just <laughs> adhering to all these weird rules they just decided to do. Probably some by mistake even, you know. You know, and if this is the last film of the Skywalker saga, that's probably the last time we're going to see the crawl because we haven't seen it in any of the other series. But I think that's because we'll get to this in the end. I just We'll see it again. Now, we'll see it again. I don't believe it. I think that's just that's just for mainline stories. So I think in new mainline stories that have like trilogy arcs and stuff, we'll see it. I think just not for the side stories. So we cut down, I think, yeah, this is um, one of the few films. Actually, I'm trying to think back. We don't start with a space battle here. Camera pans down and we see a planet. We open straight onto Kylo Ren in a snow forest Unknown planet or unknown to us, killing aliens that were species that we've never seen before as well. Yeah, in a cool, cool kind of slow moe and silent battle scene montage, which I really, really liked. The bit when he like coat hangers the guy with his lightsaber and body slams him into the ground. It's just like, Adam Driver, you fucking monster. Do we normally get planet titles in the mainline ones? Because I know we did in Solo and Rogue One. We don't. Not in the main. Because there are no planet titles come up on screen in, in this film. Which did no, confuse me. We every don't now and get then. any. Like, uh, are we now? Yeah. It's a cool beginning though. I like this. Yeah. So he's fighting all these aliens and then it cuts to this sort of wide shot in this very sparse forest of him just standing there amongst all the dead bodies. And he approaches this sort of like a weird sort of stone pedestal thing, right? Which he opens and inside is a little pyramid object thing, which we find out is a Sith Wayfinder, it's called. And we immediately then cut to him with the Sith Wayfinder plugged into his ship and he's flying somewhere we don't know yet, but he heads into sort of like this red kind of mass floating in space and flies through that and then comes out the other end into this dark sort of looks upside down kind of lightning dark world which we learn is the planet i don't think we get the name for a while but it's called exegol which i wrote wrong in my notes a lot until i looked it up on wikipedia <laughs> yeah i didn't know what it was either i kept hearing exegol <laughs> yeah <laughs> i do like the transition though like when he first finds that wayfinder like he's looking in it and inside it you see the red and then his spaceship inside mm -hmm. the wayfinder and then they just keep moving the camera inside the wayfinder to his ship then like with the wayfinder inside the ship it's like this cool yeah. like he's inside it i will just add for our listeners here i only saw this last night so some of this is still it's all very fresh and some of it's kind of coming back as we're going through our notes here but thankfully because al's seen it twice 
Because that first time you just want to experience it. And that second time I was like, no, no, I'm going to pay attention to remembering certain details and making sure I write down every single thing that happens. Much to the annoyance of everyone around me because I'm sitting there with my little notepad scrabbling away while they're trying to watch it for the first time. So Ray lands on this planet. We know from the crawl that essentially he sees the Emperor as a threat to his power. So he, he lands on this planet, ignites his lightsaber right away, walks towards this cool floating stone structure and then sort of walks under it and it's right above his head. And then he descends into this cave. There's all these giant statues, presumably of other Sith Lords, sort of similar to some Jedi statues we've seen in previous films, but clearly of Sith Lords. And we get the first line of the film, which is the Emperor saying, at last. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because he's kind of walking, at this point he's walking through and there's nothing, it's just the statues. And then suddenly he's sort of in this little work area of Sith slaves, I guess. They look like they're lepers almost. They've got like bandages all over their face, which is really strange. Yeah. And fucking Snoke's in jars, which is like- Yeah, so immediately we get this sort of mind- or this conversation between Ren and Palpatine. We we haven't seen Palpatine yet. We're just hearing his voice. But Ren tells him that he's here to destroy him. He says, I destroyed Snoke, so I can destroy you. Then Palpatine reveals that Snoke was just a puppet of his. And yeah, and then at this point, we walk, uh, Ren walks past like two fully formed Snokes in jars, which is like such an immediate kind of like, explained yeah. it. <laughs> it's yep. done. It's just there like, are a lot of middle fingers in this film to The Last Jedi, and this is the first of them. Absolutely. Like, this one I can kind of, you know, because the Star Wars universe has a history of cloning, and even prior to this film, if you delve into some of the expanded stuff, yeah, Palpatine was already cloning and stuff before. So, I was kind of like, okay, I get it's, it's definitely a, a bit of a finger to Last Jedi, but this sort of fits. But yeah, there are some that are very... We'll get to those. The Emperor then says, you know, Snoke was a puppet. Like, all the voices in your head have been me. And as he says that, he changes to Snoke's voice, and then he changes to Darth Vader's voice. And then finally, we get the reveal of the Emperor in these sort of lightning... Like, we don't get a full glimpse. It's sort of like these lightning kind of flashes, and he's got these, yeah, kind of blind eyes. I do like that they didn't use prosthetics on him at this point, on his face. Because I was expecting they would have just gone full distorted prosthetic emperor, but they've just said that, oh, well, Ian McDermott is the right age now. <laughs> we don't yeah, have I was going to say, I was surprised he was still alive for a minute. I was like, hang on, is this, I'd kind of forgotten. I wonder if it was one of their resurrecting people like you could do nowadays, but no. Yes. I see him. So, so the emperor is hooked up to this apparatus. We have, we don't see the full extent of it at this point, but he no, basically. We don't see that he's controlled by GLaDOS, basically. It's yeah. very strange. So he's got all these sort of needles and things in his head. His eyes are like blinded and white. He's basically a zombie Palpatine. And he tells Ren basically that he has been controlling this all along, that he has a new fleet of like Sith ships and that he tells Ren that he has to kill the girl and join him on his throne. And at this point he raises the Sith fleet who like these Star Destroyers just all start rising up from beneath the ice. This confused me to be in because he looked like a zombie and he's got like these fingerless hands. When he does that, I don't know about you guys, Alex, you're more tuned in than I am, but maybe Christina's similar to me. I thought because we got like a zombie Palpatine, I was like, oh, is he like raising like the old 
Death to like Star Destroyers, is he making like a ghost fleet, essentially? I thought it, it was all going to be yeah. like zombie ships and they were going to have like... And for a second, I was like, because this is so horror-themed, this opening. I was like, are we yeah, going to get fucking like really zombie hard. star troopers, uh, stormtroopers and stuff? I was like, I didn't know how far they were going to go into this kind of like everything's, yeah, going to be resurrected, which they do go a fair way in. But no, this this is his new fleet that he's been apparently building for the last 30 years or something. Who knows? Yeah, so I had a thought of that as well at this point because it was so horror-themed. And even going into it, I thought that, yes, they say that there's sort of like the Sith fleet, but I thought they would actually be like Siths. Like it would be an actual Sith army. Which we may see later, but we'll raise that when we get to <laughs> Yeah. I will say I like Emperor here. I hate the Emperor historically. In this scene, I quite liked him. Like he is genuinely a little bit creepy and his eyes are creepy and yeah, like the fingerless hands are pretty cool. I don't know. He's working for me in this scene. I agree with you. I liked him in this one. Yeah, he was creepy. That like dark black mouth. Ugh. The reveal was really cool and it did have a very horror feel to it. And I just liked that it was never quite clear. It was just every time the lightning would flash, you'd get a bit of his face and a bit of his eyes. And My first question I have, because when I talked to Tom afterwards, he keyed on to the twist in this scene, which I didn't. I was just long for the ride. I wasn't thinking too hard. But yeah, he's about to like tell which for starters kylo ren turns around very quick he goes there to kill palpatine <laughs> and within about four sentences he's like all right i'm on board <laughs> doesn't kill palpatine this everything uh as we'll sort of find out things move pretty quick in this film. i'm happy revealing right now this is the most breathless film i've ever seen for better or worse blockbuster that i've ever seen like there is no fat in this film it is just go 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 yes i think there's a reason for that which you kind of flirted in in how this film was written but anyway so he turns around really really quickly and then the fact that palpatine then warns him that ren uh sorry that yeah ray isn't who ren thinks she is and then ren asks him well who is she and then the emperor smiles for tom that was it for tom it was like oh okay got it like straight away from that opening scene, what the twist was going to be. I did not. Like I did not key into it at all. Was no, it- I didn't get it. I didn't key into it either. I mean, I immediately knew. <laughs> I mean, the thing that I knew was again, it was like, okay, JJ is not going to go with her parents were nothing. <laughs> like for me, it was that moment was just a clear another kind of finger to middle finger to Last Jedi. It was like, he's not going to be brave enough to say that sh- we have this powerful new force-sensitive person that has come from nothing. But they were nothing because they chose to be nothing, Alex. <laughs> so for me, I was just kind of like, oh, okay, well, she's going to be connected to one of these leads somehow. Like I was thinking still back to the Skywalkers or a Jedi at least, but that's sort of where my head was. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, at least we're all on the same page. We weren't, it wasn't sport for us yet. So yeah, Empress smiles and then boom, we cut to Finn, Poe and Chewie playing hollow chess and Chewie looking down at the board and Finn and Poe basically saying, you're cheating. And he's like, eh. he's like, no, you're, no, you're, he's not cheating. Blah, blah, blah. And they have this little funny exchange while they're in hyperspace. And then an alarm goes off and Chewie goes to the flight deck or whatever. Um, and they're like, yeah, he always cheats. As they're going into pilot the ship, Poe bumps into a new alien that we haven't seen, but we had seen in some promotional photos in the lead up called Claude, who's fixing a little um, something on the Millennium Falcon. And Poe's like, yeah, blah, 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 you know, keep working, whatever. And that's it. Claude. (laughs) Claude, there he is. In and out. 
What a star. You know, was he, he really must... in promotional materials? I didn't notice it. There were some like early press release photos. There were some images of him. Yeah, I mean, I was expecting to see him even when they released those photos. I was like, oh, cool. Like, cool background alien that's going to be in some busy cantina or port. But he was on the Millennium Falcon fixing it and that was it. <laughs> so, basically, we've, we immediately find out that they're picking up Info transmitted from a ally who is a spy within the First Order. And they come out of hyperspace and we see the planet that many, I think, people thought was where Palpatine was when this was released in the trailer. It's this... Oh, no, wait. Yeah, this is the big icy kind of floating planet. Is it floating or is that just the reflection? I, I couldn't tell. I don't know. Yeah, I can't tell. It's this giant sort of like iceberg thing and they fly into it. They get the plans from this alien and they say, you know, how can we repay you? And he just says, win the war and thing closes. And then all the TIE fighters descend and we get an immediate chase. And so like for me at this point, we've had the Palpatine thing. Now we're straight into a chase. Like things are moving at a million miles an hour and there's so much happening. I was like, whoa. And they're moving even quicker because they're doing light speed skipping here for the the first time, right? That we've seen this. This is the first time we've seen it. So they're having a very classic kind of Millennium Falcon style chase through the underbelly of this iceberg or whatever it is, sort of very reminiscent of Return of the Jedi when they're flying inside the structure of the Death Star 2 and getting chased by TIE fighters. But then as they're doing that, Poe skips into hyperspace, but like for a second, and then they're in this next planet. I think it's, is the next one, it's like those big jagged rocks. It's it's, really quick. They're like flying through and they skip again and, and Poe is basically like, Finn's like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm light speed skipping. It's the only way we're going to get away from these guys. And like, that's fucking nuts, man, without the swearing. And we've never done this before in any of the films. <laughs> we've never done this before. And he's like, yeah, but we can do it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we've never seen it in any of the films. But basically, we're getting like little three second blocks of jump evade something, jump, evade something. We get a giant and then we finish with a giant space slug thing. Like the one in Return of the Jedi, right? Yeah, except this one's mouth opens in three ways. That one is just like a penis with a mouth. I didn't notice it as much the first time, but then Haruka was like, this is very Return of the Jedi, like the whole sort of way the whole film's patterned out. And the second time I was noticing that more of like, yes, they do a lot of the story beats from Return of the Jedi in this one. Yeah, so then that thing, all the TIE fighters crash into it and they they get away from there we cut straight to ray and she's in a forest floating with rocks floating around her <laughs> i've noticed in your notes that you shared with me al you've written dragon ball style <laughs> so this is a presiding thing i don't know for you guys but i and i'm not saying i have a problem with this stuff i'm just saying like i do appreciate always with star wars films you get that opening you know cruel and they're basically saying oh you missed a movie let us catch you up And a lot has changed, like, each time you come back into the mainline Star Wars films, which I always find fun. And, yeah, she is now a superhero, as is Ren. I don't worry about her for this entire film because she can just kick ass constantly. Like, she's so overpowered right now in this movie that it is like watching Dragon Ball or something. She is juiced up. These are superheroes. Yeah, it's interesting because, and we've talked about this in the previous ones, with the original trilogy... The time passed narratively was the same amount of time passed between the films in real life. Whereas with these films, we have The Last Jedi, which really picks up right, right off the back of Force Awakens. 
And then this one is set a year later after the Battle of Crate from The Last Jedi. So yeah, I do appreciate with those original ones with how the crawls fill in the kind of the sense that like you just said you missed a movie in between and i think as a kid growing up that's why i enjoyed reading some of those expanded universe books that were set between the films because it was just cool how they filled those gaps so yeah she is training are they doing any expanded universe for these ones out of interest for kids growing up now there's a couple of books that were released that tell the story kind of in the lead up to rise of skywalker and there are a lot of comics, to be fair, now, aren't there, that fill in. Yeah, and there are comics. But yeah, I haven't read any from this new generation. I agree. I like that she's a superhero now and she's, you know, badass. Just trying to think if we had seen in the prequel trilogies when there were Jedi, if we had seen any floating, meditating Jedi. We have, haven't we? Yeah, we've seen Luke do a little bit. Yeah, that's right. And honestly, like the beginning of the movie, I didn't really get into it and connect to it until I saw Ray and this scene. The other scenes before, it was just kind of like, mm, oh no, am I ready to watch this? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like, oh no, how long are they going to be fighting? It, took me, a it, it was- took me a second to settle into it, you know? I'm going to make a case throughout this podcast because I do think Ray, in a time where, you know, obviously there's a lot of female empowerment in movies and in my opinion, there's a lot of not the right representations for how that is always tackled in movies. I do think Ray's a fantastic role model for a lot of young women growing oh, up. Oh, for sure. So I'm interested to get your take on it by the end because I'm going to make the case throughout this. I'm going to be calling it out. What I love about her character in this movie is she constantly wins things by being kind and not through adversity, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. which is incredibly... I don't know. I think it's an incredibly important message. I mean, there's a lot of very obvious messages in this movie that we'll get to later, but that's one that I really appreciated. And someone who's, I'm trying to write scripts right now, and I hate everything just has to come down to a bunch of people fighting. But it's what we're taught that that's a satisfying way to end a conflict. So I think it's very cool how they managed to find ways for her to constantly be kind and then yeah, help her way out of situations, which is great. Yeah. I yeah. don't want to give away too much of how I feel right now. <laughs> okay, fine. Then don't. While she's floating, she's meditating, be with me, be with me, be with me. But nothing happens. And she falls back, or she doesn't fall back to the ground. She floats back down to the ground and we realize she's training with Leia. And she's essentially trying to summon former Jedi that have passed. And Leia's essentially telling her to, you know, just give it time and and it'll sort of happen. And then Ray's like, okay, I'm going to do the training course now. And we get... A lot of footage that was shown in, in the trailers, basically, where she's running through this forest. At the time of the trailers, a lot of people were speculating that this was Endor, the forest moon of Endor. But it's not known where this planet really is, actually. I don't think it's ever really addressed. And she's running through, doing flips, being chased by one of those blaster ball things. And then midway through this training, we cut to Kylo Ren and he is with Darth Vader's helmet, which I guess he recovered. Oh, no, he still had because it was always on the, his destroyer. He's sort of meditating with the helmet. They're still setting up that Rey and Kylo have a Skype connection. <laughs> this was the test your connection one, basically, before you do the proper call. Which is interesting because Snoke had said that he had set up well, I guess it works because Snoke had said in The Last Jedi that 
he had created that bond between Ray and Kylo so that they could persuade each other to, or that Ren could persuade Ray to come to him. So I guess it makes sense if Palpatine's still. But I don't know. Well, I don't know if he's controlling it now. Like, I feel they can do anything now, to be honest, yeah. both of them, you know. Quick question, because were you disappointed by two things? Number one, this is very similar to, obviously, Yoda training in Return of the Jedi, just getting it much shorter. Were you disappointed that we didn't get Princess Leia on Rey's back being run around? <laughs> <laughs> and two, Alex, how the fuck do they have this footage? Because I remember for a long time... Okay, so... Carrie Fisher very sadly passes away before The Last Jedi comes out. One of the problems we had was they gave her a nice send-off in The Last Jedi with how she died and it meant something. And then they took that away. And then we were like, okay, well, what are they going to do in this one? Since obviously they can't film new footage with her. They then came out and promised. I remember this explicitly. They're yep. promising they weren't going to use well, CGI footage, essentially manipulative footage. They were only going to use stuff that had already been shot. There's obviously a bit later we'll get to where it's silhouetted and not her. But what the fuck's with all this footage? Is this footage they shot? Do you think? Because if so, who the fuck shot this? It would have been yes. Tell us because I am dying to know. So J.J. Abrams said that he used footage from the Force Awakens that they did shoot with interactions between Rey. There were some scenes that they shot with Leia and Rey, and some various other scenes which they didn't use. And he said that when they got to the stage of creating this film and they went through that old footage, they realized there was a huge chunk of stuff that they could still use here. Now, the way that I think they've used it, the impression that I get watching it was that these scenes weren't the exact scenes that they shot, but they've used the footage of Carrie Fisher and then spliced it around and superimposed it and spliced it around some of these new scenes. Because there's some very clear moments where, you know, you're having the characters, we're getting the shot of the characters speaking back to Leia. And it's it must be like a body double that they've used in those shots. And then they've, yeah. But then there were also some where I was like, that might be CGI. There was some where it looked like it had there's been a manipulated a little bit. a little glow, bit. Yeah, around it sometimes, which is definitely a signifier of it. Um I don't know. I tell you what, more than this film, I'm fascinated if we ever get a full documentary on how the behind the scenes of this movie, because there's so much going on that I'm interested about. Mm -hmm. So Ren disrupts Ray's training, and I can't remember what the discussion they have in this first one. They don't. He just like disrupts it, and she just starts fucking up with the bull. Like she starts getting angry and then That's lashing right. out, and then she accidentally traps BB-8 under a fallen log. That's right. Because of her anger, basically starting to yeah. overtake her. So he, and that's just from him interfering. It's not like they don't have a chat yet. There are no nipples. That's right. Just so we see this kind of frustration and anger kind of bubble over. At this point, the Falcon re returns. It's on fire. Ray's like, who I guess now is kind of the custodian of the Falcon, it seems. Because she's yeah, really weird, pissed. She's really pissed mm -hmm. off at Poe for bringing the Falcon back in such a state. And he's like, what did you do to BB-8? You know, you let a tree fall on him. And they're kind of having this funny argument. Alex. Gonk watch, my friend. Two gonks. Two right gonks, here. yep. I did spot Christina, it. Christina, I don't yeah. know if you remember, but my favorite no. Star Wars character is the walking dustbin gonk. Uh, the who gonk? Weirdly had a bit of a, a gonk, G-O-N-K. Weirdly has had a bit of a comeback in Star Wars recently. So I was on gonk watch. Found a few my first watch. My second watch found even more. Here's our first two gonks. Oh, right. yes, the gonks, yes. The old walking trash can. Yeah, One of them gets the big, murdered like, in Solo. Big oh, 
Oh, the trash can. No, you know what came out up was a porg. But now I see murdered. the trash can. I do got to say that the little characters or whatever really cute in this one. They did a lot of great things with all those little characters. This movie feels like J.J. Abrams went to all of the designers for any of the other Star Wars and say, every alien, every spaceship, every single design you've ever come up with, give them all to me now because we're going to do every single one of them. It's insane how many things are going on in this movie in the background and how much practical stuff is going on is honestly astonishing. There's a shot we'll get to Mm -hmm. very shortly, which is staggering. And it's just for one shot. I think I've noticed even for the first scene with Poe and Finn is you can really see J.J. Abrams, I think, like attempts to bring the chemistry back between the ensemble. Yes, I see that. Because everyone sort of had their own journeys in Last Jedi and then kind of came back towards the end. But I feel here he's immediately saying like, this is the group, they're going to be together, there's a chemistry, there's a history between them now. These relationships are deeper. And so true. And you and you feel that right away. You need that in these films, so you know? Yeah, I was loving it, but I was also like, but it's the last film and we're kind of we've just Yeah, it was we'll get to that. We're just getting going. But let's wrap it up. We're just getting going. <laughs> let's wrap it up. So yeah, we get here and now we find out that they've learnt that from the message that Palpatine is back. And he's on Exegol. So we thought everyone in the universe heard this in the galaxy, but... I mean, the opening scroll explicitly tells us the transmission has gone out into the galaxy, so everybody knows Palpatine's back. But here they're like, wait, Palpatine's back? Yeah. But anyway, whatever. Who cares? Yeah, because the opening crawl would make you assume that they were getting the information to find out where he was. Yeah, otherwise, what are they doing? I was confused then with what Organa's, like, what she's sending her people out for. It doesn't affect the plot at all. What I'm more surprised with is this is the scene where Rose pops up for a second and is like, bye. Yeah, so this... this Poor Rose. And how, yeah, so she pops up and does disappear and kind of does that for the rest of the film. Well, not to spoil anything, but this blew my mind. She is like how sidelined she is and then how that there's no after the whole kissing Finn at the end whether you like that or not and them sort of having this whole they had their own little story together in that whole film there's no relationship between no. them in this no there's like well, he literally bit, asked but, he's like do you want to come with us and she's like no I better stay here because that's what the fans want <laughs> basically like that's how yeah, it's you think that's I, what I, happened I really feel for her because she obviously had all this gross, misogynistic, racist backlash, or not backlash, which was like trolled, where she quit social media and it was a whole big thing. And, really? You know, the Star Wars. Yeah. And then, you know, the Star Wars community, as far as people involved with the film, but then the sort of wider fandom all got behind her and it was like, you know, fuck those losers whatever blah 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 and why was that was that because i'm sorry it's just like my memory on this is a little like faded it was because they kissed it was i mean it was because of i think how people felt about the last jedi and just people are awful and can't and her story was a side story which people didn't like in the last Jedi. so i think they blamed it on her a lot and then let's not overestimate for these stupid fucking people who who are again in a minority when i said what the fans want i'm talking about yes i don't like constantly using the word toxic but that kind of fan 
But let's not, yeah, underestimate the fact that she's an Asian female who's not supermodel skinny, you know, like so people didn't want her to keep coming back and they these they were terrible, terrible reaction to that. Well, they should have put her in this movie a little bit more then. Yeah, I agree but too. Yeah, a, but the problem is she also coming in with JJ, it, this wasn't his character. And he's trying to bring it 100% back to The Force Awakens. So he's trying to tidy everything under the rug from The Last Jedi. And Rose is unfortunately a part of that. To be clear, I do think there's already arguably too many characters anyway. So I don't know if we need more characters. But yes, you could have refocused and, and given her something worthwhile at least. Because she has nothing worthwhile to do here. Yeah. yeah. That, and that's it. I think it's just like even just give her a sense that she does have this maybe relationship now with Finn and there's like there's some stakes to that I, I don't know it was it was just really surprising and a little disappointing and I just feel for her I really do oh and also at this point we get the dude from Lost and Lord of the Rings I forgot his name <laughs> sorry Monaghan something Monaghan yeah Dominic Monaghan that's it or yep. Montague whatever. yeah whatever Dominic Montague <laughs> yeah he pops up in also a kind of weird irrelevant character <laughs> yeah he pops up as hey it's me i always wanted to be in the star wars film that's how his face <laughs> yeah. reads <laughs> basically yeah it was like you could have scrapped that character and given rose all of his lines yeah i mean that's yeah you're talking yeah. about the guy but, with um, the, the guy with the eyes right i mean i think they all have eyes but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, you know the, guy, <laughs> the eyes the guy that was in lord of the you rings know. Yeah, some know him as the guy from Lost and The Lord of the Rings. Others know him as the guy with the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on. Um, so it turns out what we find out here from this message from Palpatine is that the First Order is now called the Final Order, or this is his Final Order, the Sith Fleet. But help me out here, guys. Is Palpatine's intentions to control and take over the universe or just destroy every planet on the universe in the universe just to be a dick okay to take over right sure but to what end this is my problem with so many just like classic good bad scenarios is what do the baddies really want like what are they really trying to accomplish and then also when they're constantly trying to win people over to their cause for starters let's not call it the dark side then let's make something a little bit tempting because obviously you're the assholes if you're called the dark side. And for second, let's pick a planet which is, you know, fun. Like, it's so miserable at Exegol. It's like, it's just dark and cold looking. And later on, we're going to get him trying to, like, tempt people to join their side for whatever their cause is. And it's like, it's really not tempting. It's like, you but should be living like... that's what, Al, that is what dark people like. They like to be surrounded stupid. by the dark. <laughs> But it's just like, um, I believe that. I don't know if you should I'm call gonna... them dark people. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. Well, yeah, I didn't mean it they like, like that, it cold and depressing. No, I'm teasing you. The dark side. <laughs> the more you defend it, Christina, the worse it Yeah, um, that's not what I mean at all. <laughs> I'm going to stand up for the prequels for a second, which is something I never thought I'd say, and heaven's very excited. When the emperor, admittedly undercover in the prequels, that's how you would live. 
you'd live as, hey, the dark side's awesome. We can do anything and we're going to rule the entire galaxy for our utilitarian, you know, like means and philosophies. Plus, we live like Roman fucking emperors and we've got slaves everywhere and there are sex parties and food parties and murdering parties and whatever things the Dark Lords like to do. <laughs> like, not just sit in a cold, dank stone room for fucking <laughs> generations. It's like, it's not tempting at all. So I don't know what his intention is other than to be evil and that's it. It feeds their rage, Al. It's like uh, Darth Vader's, his castle or temple or whatever you want to call it was on Mustafar where he was burnt in lava. <laughs> I mean, at least he had a view. <laughs> it looks <laughs> kind of cool. <laughs> Did they say this? Because I'm just seeing this in the notes here. that So that we find out that the final order will be launched in 16 hours? Did they say 16 hours? I've, I checked it the second time. And if someone's going to refute this, then fine. I could have been wrong twice. It's quite possible. I've been wrong multiple times in my life. But I checked because I heard it the first time. And the second time was like, I need to make sure. And in the thing, they say it's going to be launched in 16 hours. It's possible they say 60. It did not both times to me. 100% sounded like 16 hours. So we've got 16 hours. <laughs> so all of that <laughs> happened in 16 hours? I can only presume right. I'm wrong, but honestly, that's what I heard both times. And I made a point, I'm writing this down as it's saying it that second time as well, and I was listening out for that one. So at this point, the rebels, wait, they're not called the rebels. What are they called in this? Yeah, why not? Rebels. <laughs> they, I mean, uh, there's a bit where Palpatine says, like, this will be the last word in the rebellion. So yeah, yeah. rebels. That was the line that was changed from the trailer. Because in the trailer, he says this will be the last word of the Skywalker or something. So they don't know how to find him. They've got this message, but they don't know how to find him. And then Ray, who we see earlier reading from one of Luke's journals, realizes there's something in there that she missed. And she runs and goes into her little box of Luke's journals that had a page showing the Sith Wayfinder on it, a little sketch that he drew. And that if they find this, then they can find their way to Exegol. So apparently there were two, right? Yeah, um, there are only two made. Quick interrupt here, Gonk number three. But also this is where, uh, and to be clear, probably this was Gonk one or two coming back, but I'm going to count it. Also, this is the first thing that really kind of annoyed me. Because the first time I watched it, she was just reading some books on the Land of Millennium Falcon in an earlier scene. And then here they're like, oh, we need a Wayfinder. And she's like, oh, shit, I remember something from the books. That's enough for me. She's read these books and she's like, oh, I remember something. But no, this film is so perfectly to a fault written that every single moment has to give you exposition. That, yeah, she's literally, as they land a Millennium Falcon, she's on the page that shows the Wayfinder, the Pathfinder, that we've never seen before, looking at it, just happens to be on that exact page as they land, so that in the next scene, she'll be, oh yeah, I was literally just looking at that about an hour ago in this book, for the first time in Star Wars history, and oh, weirdly, this is the first time we ever need it in Star Wars history. And it's stuff like that, where I'm just like, you don't need that moment, just have she remembered something from a book, it's fine. I don't mind seeing that moment. I liked seeing it on the page and in the book. Because now when you go to Disneyland, you could go to the store and buy that book. 
No, I like it being in the book. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking like a good month. You're trying to get a job right now. <laughs> I like I'm the, bo- the book. I want the goddamn book. Right? The book's fine. And she can go and get the book and then we can see it. But she shouldn't be reading it as they fly in at the very first time in history. They're going to need that page. Like it's just too on the nose of like everyone's just getting the information. It's going to happen a lot in this film. Everyone gets the information they need the moment before they need it. I guess for somebody like you, the way you watch it, you notice those things like that. But I guess the way I watch things, I don't really notice things like that. Especially in the Star Wars galaxy, there's just so much going on that I don't, I don't pick up on everything. And the first time I just thought she was reading a book, I didn't notice what she was looking at. It was just the second time I was like, ah, oh, that's on the nose. But it's a bit later with a coin that's definitely <laughs> on the nose. So then we cut to Kylo Ren, who is still in Exegol, and he's getting his helmet fixed by Caesar from Planet of the Apes. <laughs> it is Caesar. I mean, he had to go and do something. <laughs> they had to fit in Andy Circus somehow. Yeah. He was contracted to three films. <laughs> well, he is, he's in this movie, Andy Circus. He is, yeah. So, yeah, he is getting his helmet fixed. And I think, again, this is a very much a... JJ nod to <laughs> sort of to the last Jedi of like you smashed my helmet. I'm, I'm gonna fix <laughs> I'm gonna it. let you put it back together. But they do the Japanese method, the Kintsugi method, where you have to like be proud of your where you've been broken, which I think is a wonderful philosophy. And again, I think it's a wonderful philosophy to carry into this film. I do, and I think the helmet looks cool, but under scrutiny, whenever it's a close-up, it's like, couldn't they at least have actually broken the helmet and put it back together with this red whatever? Because it's clearly just someone's painted on top of the helmet red lines, <laughs> which is like, I would have liked a little bit more texture. But Yeah, I thought up close it didn't look, I didn't like the red so much. Yeah, I was reading about that as well, about the the symbolism of that Japanese tradition. And I like that if it didn't feel so much as a again like a pointed thing to the last jedi because you know it does fit in with kylo ren's character or ben solo of like him being broken and how he's kind of rebuilding himself and at this point we finally see another moment that harks back to the force awakens is we get the knights of ren which we had only seen in flashbacks in the previous films and they're all kind of armored up and ready so this is kind of saying that He's only getting the knights now, and they're part of Palpatine's Sith army? Well, no, but that's my question, because when he now... Because he's about to go and have a chat with the First Order boys, and when he does that, he walks past two stormtroopers, and they purposely linger on the two stormtroopers. He go, oh, look, it's the Knights of the Ren. And then the other stormtrooper goes, ghouls. So I'm like, are these the original Knights of the Ren, or are these also resurrected? Has Palpatine resurrected? Are they zombie Knights of the Ren? Knights of Ren, rather than actual original you meaning like the originals being the ones we saw in those flashbacks and had been killed has palpatine resurrected knights of ren basically because they don't do much to be clear they're pretty useless in this movie they look cool whenever you see them but they don't do much and yeah they make a point of having this stormtrooper calling them ghouls and i didn't know if that was like trying to tell us yeah these are zombies like why are they back Uh, yeah i don't know if they were zombies or if they were just yeah, part of Palpatine's thing. It felt like they were brought in because there was an expectation we'd see them because they were, were sort of floated about. Because originally in those flashbacks, it always felt that they were with Kylo Ren when he was killing those Jedi at Luke's temple. And that like 
Yeah, and then there's a line in Last Jedi where Snoke says to Kylo Ren, uh, he's like, Kylo Ren, master of the Knights of Ren or something like that. Like he makes a comment about him. So yeah, but we don't, anyway. Yeah, he's chatting to the First Order boys. This is when we first see Richard E. Grant. We have the lovely Hux back. <laughs> Look, I'm happy. I'm going to say this now. Problem with characters I have problems with. Hux in the first one I have problems with. In the second one, he's terrible. And I love Dominic Gleeson. I think he's an amazing actor. Never in Star Wars. He's reining it back in. His eyebrows are shorter, which I appreciate. And the same, to be clear, the same with Poe. I've had a problem with Poe in both of the previous films, particularly Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. I like him the most in this one. I think he's an enjoyable character in this film. And I like Richard E. Grant whenever I see him. So, Well, it's funny here because I think Kylo is telling them about final order and all this kind of stuff and i think hux goes to say something oh no he he says nice helmet we hated hux right in the last ones i mean i did for sure he's he's pretty unbearable this one he's a lot better well partly i didn't mind him three scenes and very short ones but the moments were pretty good I mean, I was kind of groaning when he came, well, not groaning, but just kind of like, yeah, here he is. And then even when he made the helmet comment, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was just like, I was it? Yeah. I didn't mind him in he this one. And like later on, I thought he was pretty funny. To be clear, it's the woman next to him who makes the joke. He kind of sets up the joke and then the woman next to him like does the like, I think it's nice or whatever. So it's like, okay. They're, I think they, again, are purposely realizing he was too jokey in the last one. Let's hand it off a little bit. Yeah, they handled his character a lot better in this one, even though it was like cut down to like very little. Yes, very little. Remind me here, Al, what is Kylo Ren telling these First Order generals? Is he just telling them about the final order? Sort of. I mean, he's not explicitly saying that. It's just, you know, they're partly saying they have to kidnap more people to like get more forces. It's essentially saying they're going to be falling behind Palpatine and he gets a bit of pushback. And someone questions him. Yeah, someone questions him and he... We see his full power and he does a sort of Darth Vader slam the guy onto the ceiling move. Which is really cool. I love that they're making... Because again, in The Force Awakens, it reminded me I used to love Kylo Ren. I found him really scary. And in The Force Awakens, because I didn't have that much attachment to Adam Driver at that point, I had a bit of a problem when he took off the mask and it was just a boy. Now I love Adam Driver and everything he does. He's one of my favorite actors in the planet. And this is the first film for me where he's nailing both sides. When he's Kylo Ren, I'm scared. And when he's not Kylo Ren, I'm sympathetic when he's Ben. Yes, Like he's, he's exactly. finally managed to bridge it perfectly. He is hands down the best actor in any of these films. He's Honest so to God, good. I think he's as so good as good. everyone else combined. Like he just kicks so yeah. much ass in, in this like film. Like just how consistent he is and how much depth he brings to this, these, you know, essentially just a space fantasy story. Like He's so good in it. And also... Ray, though, too, I think this one, out of all the other ones, this is the strongest one that she's had. I think I she's completely. great I've in had it, a too. With Ray. Yeah. I've said in the other two, like, I think Ray has a great, I think Daisy, I think she's a wonderful human being from what I've seen of her. And I think she has a great screen presence. I've always said she was a bad actor. This one, I think she's a decent actor. I'm not going to say she's great here, but I don't mind her in any scene. I think she's totally fine for what every scene needs here. And I definitely think it's her best performance. As, I as think she's great. great. I think they're both great together. I love it. <laughs> Adam Driver is great. She's doing perfectly fine with everything she has to do, which is great. Like That's, that's good enough, I mean, for me. 
So we cut to a desert planet, not Tatooine, but another desert planet, or not Jakku, but another desert planet. It's called Deserty. We land on Deserty. Oh, it wasn't Kajimi. That was the other place. I think it's called Asana. Planet Burning Man is what it's called. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah, now, they, now I know what you're talking about. Realize... Planet Burning Man. That's exactly what I turned to my friend and said, I said, wait, are they a Burning Man? Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, a once in a generation sort of festival that they have on this planet. We find out from C-3PO, who is his usual chatty self at this point, maybe even more so, <laughs> which I thought was... Yeah, he's yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. was just like... Yeah, and we get these aliens dancing and celebrating and letting off these sort of smoke, colorful smoke flares and waving flags and kites and their alien babies. Oh my God, I love the babies. I loved the babies. I do got to say, the characters in this one, they really made them so cute. The babies are so cute. It's one of the highlights of the movie for me. Yeah, and there's a wide shot here. Not the first one when they get in, but there's a wide shot when Ray walks towards the camera and says, I've never seen anything like this. And it's definitely like a mission shot because behind her, you can just see dozens and dozens and dozens of real people with real prosthetics with yeah. CGI so cool. to accentuate it. And it, lo- it does look phenomenal. And it's for like one shot. It's really yeah. incredible. But this scene, I do feel, is the signifier of this whole movie, which is like, okay, normally you would spend some time here. It'd be like, okay, let's go for the festival. We're going to have some downtime, some character moments, breathe a little bit. I love my movies to breathe. There's no breathing in this film. This is, okay, they arrived. Okay, you get your one token scene where you talk to someone, where she gets given some beads and the little, little weird baby person, uh, well, isn't a baby, actually, it's like a mother or whatever. But they ask what her name is and she's like, oh, I realize I don't have a name, a second name. And then that's it. Then it's like, go, go, go. The baddies are here. And it's like, there's no time to actually breathe in any of these locations, which normally I would see as a huge negative in a movie. But in this movie, I'm enjoying the moments at each place they're at that I'm okay with it to this point anyway. I'm okay Because with the I'm moments like, are, are strong and meaningful and cute. And just it's, fun and colorful. And yeah, I and can tell like the passion great world building it. in this film. There's like really a really great world building in this film, which I really love. I feel again, there are two sides to it. And this is, and we'll get to this at the end, but yeah, I went back and rewatched a bunch of like pretty much all of the recent ones. And this is the opposite of Rogue One. You know, Rogue One, for me, is what I really want in a movie. I want that grounded feeling and I want the breathing time and the character time. That's way more important to me. But if you're not going to do that, then this is how you do this. The other side, the entertaining side, the just like, let's just go on the adventure as quick as we possibly can from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. This is doing it right to this point for me, where it's just fun. So Ray gets given these beads that you were spoken about. Luckily, she wasn't in New Orleans because I hear if someone puts beads around you, no, it means something else. not a good joke, Alex. <laughs> Maybe that's what the little alien was trying to say, and she just misinterpreted it. It's definitely why Adam Driver is about to grab it. He's like, I know what these mean. Yeah, Adam Driver then suddenly pops up for another little Skype session. Um, I yeah, like they just have another. I love them. They were silly for me in The Last Jedi. Like They felt silly in The Last Jedi. Here they feel genuine. Yeah, I think because Daisy Ridley feels way more grounded she in does. this. Like her performance mm-hmm. is so much better that it helps those moments mm-hmm. as well. Like It doesn't feel, I don't know. And their connection it, it is feels, different. Yeah. Their connection is it's more real. It's stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Ren is basically trying to find out where they are. And we realize that 
we kind of get a hint of it in The Last Jedi when they're having a chat and Ray is in the rain and at the end of their conversation, Kylo Ren realizes that his glove is wet. And in this, he reaches for her beads and pulls them and then their conversation ends and he is physically holding the beads, which then he gives to First Order people. They analyze it and they're able to track it to Pisana. So here they come. They're on their way. But also within this little festival, there's already stormtroopers roaming about and they get spotted. But the stormtrooper gets shot in the eye with an arrow. Who could it be? They take this person, wheels them off into this weird little tanky thing. And it's Lando Calrissian played by Billy D. Williams. I will say this about Billy D. Williams. He looks like he's having the time of his life throughout this whole film. (laughs) He does. Like, especially at the end, there is just very genuine joy in what he's doing whether you think you need his character or not but i loved that i really i I like that that. too that was great i do want to say uh alex sorry because i know it's uh ridiculous but it was for me a a freddy krueger moment when they start to realize they can pull things out of each other's skype calls essentially for sure (laughs) like it really took me into nightmare on elm street rules like the way they look at it as well in the hands like later on and then you can start to use it to your advantage i really love it so it's fucking cool. So Han, has Lando just been hanging out then on this planet that entire time? Yeah, so we find out that Lando actually came here to this planet to Pisana with Luke many years ago when Luke was searching for this Wayfinder. So was Luke searching for this after Kylo Ren turned or while he was a Jedi or before he started his temple? Was that ever? I don't know, man. Did you guys? No, I have I no idea. They don't establish the exact timeline. It's just a throwaway thing. But yeah, we were looking <laughs> for this. Just throw it away. Just throw it away, Alex. So, yeah, it turns out... yeah. <laughs> do what yeah, I do. Just away. throw it away. <laughs> so, yeah, Lando says that, yeah, that Luke was here looking for the artifact and that they were led here because... Okay, Al, you here in the notes say Bounty Hunter. I thought it was a former Jedi. You might be right. That was the one note that I put down and I was like, I might have... Because I had to write... I was, there was a lot happening. And I had to catch up and I was like, did they say Bounty Hunter? I thought it was they tracked a former Jedi ship to this planet. But that wouldn't make sense though because he's been hired by Palpatine. We're going to find out later. Was he hired or did he turn? Yeah. No. Okay. Well, yeah, it could be a Jedi who turned then. So then he'd be Sith really, wouldn't he? I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. There's someone that they followed there. (laughs) It's a dude with buttons for eyes. (laughs) And yeah, so I guess Lando was then just hanging out on Pisana. I guess he really liked those Burning Man vibes. Well, they're once every 41 years, so maybe it was 41 years ago they were told about this. I don't know if that that math works out. And they were there for the last one. He's like, I'll be back for Burning Man 2. So he maybe just got into town (laughs) today. Yeah, he's like, this is going to be a rager. I am going to (laughs) just... He's just been waiting out 41. Is it time yet? No, shit. (laughs) And then as they're chatting, he has a nice reconnection with Chewie. And then we get the inevitable Star Wars line that's in every film. Stormtroopers arrive. And other than Solo, I think, Lando looks out the window. Stormtroopers are appearing and he says, I got a bad feeling about this. And now they get chased by First Order troopers. So they steal clunky old speeders and we get a chase scene as stormtroopers are on these new kind of like land desert speeders that we've never seen before which then can catapult the second stormtrooper they could fly now now. they could fly Uh, they could fly (laughs) they could fly (laughs) they could fly um and that yeah that footage was released in some of the trailers this is why i'm so happy matt honestly i've 
I was so happy that I didn't watch any of the extra trailers because all of this imagery, because then I went and watched the trailers, you know, afterwards to see what they gave away. And there's so much imagery that they gave away that it was so nice just watching it and it was completely fresh to me. Like I had no idea to expect any of this stuff. Them getting catapulted was a legitimate moment where I was just like, this is fucking awesome. Like it was so cool the way the <laughs> yeah. bike like back of it moved to push them up. And yeah, I think it's, I don't know. I really encourage everybody just with big movies to like just don't watch the trailers. Like it's so nice to go in yeah, having yeah. no idea, not even knowing, well, at some point I've got to see this scene or this shot or something like having no clue what's coming at all. I didn't even know the name also- of it. <laughs> yeah. what the film yeah and i didn't even know who was gonna be <laughs> really? in it like i didn't know if it was like gonna be like a solo movie or like a star wars movie i had no idea i obviously I didn't even know that. what time it was gonna be at <laughs> yeah we got that <laughs> yeah <laughs> got i mean that. um yeah i think you're right Al. i mean even though i watched all of them i think especially with how the star wars parts of the star wars fandom can be or not even the star wars fandom the general public can be with these films i think watching the trailers then people get these opinions and start like being like oh i shouldn't do that or do this or it looks dumb and then really go in with these sort of set mindsets of you know whether they're going to hate it or like it based on what they see and i'm appreciating it like, i think there's going to be a lot of people come out of this they're gonna you're gonna be able to and it's easy to why not you can criticize it for they add jedi powers you can criticize it for they add rules to things they add yeah these new flying stormtroopers only for one scene then they're gone they don't come back again you know but there's a lot of things that they add to this a big problem i had with the force awakens and i was i think the most favorable on the force awakens between the three of us maybe i'm not sure but definitely like, i really really enjoyed that movie more than most people it didn't do anything new it's just trying to recapture the originals spirit yeah and The Last Jedi did a few things new, but definitely not in a good way. But mostly it was still really regurgitating stuff. This is a lot of new ideas. And I know a lot of criticism of this is there are no new ideas, but I think that's more to do with story elements and story beats, you know. But in the details, there are a bunch of new ideas and you might hate them. I don't love Star Wars enough to get upset about it. I'm just happy I'm seeing something visually that's new and that's fun for me. Hey, I mean, if you can't handle flying stormtroopers... R2-D2 fucking flew in Revenge of the Sea. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I forgot that. Oh, I forgot that. So yeah, we get a really cool chase scene here. I really enjoyed it. I think just because of the desert setting, it reminded me of the pod race. Yeah. A little oh bit. yeah. I think on purpose. Whereas that was really long. It was cool, but it was very long. This was, I thought, just, there was no fat on this chase. Yeah, it was, just it was really, good enough. It was really good. Yeah, and after that, they crash and go all go flying off and they land because uh, they see the abandoned ship that they're looking for in the distance, but then they hit a rock and they crash and they all go flipping into this quicksand and they start sinking. And just as they're sinking, Finn tells, because they think they're going to die, Finn says to Ray, I never got the chance to tell you. And then they all disappear. Which he never tells her, the right? Oh, Which he no, never we'll tells her, it, Christina. But... I think it's pretty obvious. But I don't think... Okay, I'm intrigued when we get to the end of this because me and Tom had a long, frustrating conversation about this, but we'll get later on because it's going to come up again later and then disappear completely. I like that they are in this quicksand and then they actually go all the way underneath because you never know. You never get to see what's on the other side of the quicksand. Is it death or is it a chamber, a warm chamber? <laughs> I think it's normally you know? death, What was Christina? it, Christina? <laughs> What was it? It was a worm chamber. It was a chamber. So they're down in tunnels. How do they find that knife so easily? That's the only thing. That that was pretty easy. So they're in the tunnel. They're all kind of falling out one by one. 
Ray lights the, her lightsaber to give them light in the dark, and then we get Poe lighting his flashlight, and it's just. That was funny. I thought that was funny. I thought that was cute. This is the thing. This is the thing. And that's the last Jedi kind of joke, but it works here fine because it does. It happens once. The last Jedi is doing shit like that again and again and again and again. Yeah. Whereas in this, it's like, no, that's that one little moment. Yeah, it's really silly, but that's fine because the rest of the movie isn't really silly. But it's fun. No, it is. But if there's yeah. too much of that, then I would a good be balance. Mm-hmm. But it was one little thing. I'll let it get away with it. In the tunnels, they find an old speeder that has a like Sith supporter emblem on it, which is, again, is something that if you've just seen the movies, you've probably never seen this. I don't know personally, but if it's popped up in any of the series or in the video games or the books or comics, it probably has. But they notice this Sith kind of symbol. Then they find the bones of... Uchi? Was that his name? Uchi? Yeah, Uchi. Yeah, the guy that Luke and Lando are following. And yes, Christina, I agree. Like, they found that night. If Luke didn't have... <laughs> Luke, Luke fucking Skywalker couldn't sense where that dagger was. These guys just... Immediately just fell on top well, of it, basically. It's because I presume that the Force Sense works like coordinates. True. Where you can get to the coordinate, but you don't know then if it's vertical diameter, you know? It's like... Right. So they're on top. So it's like when they really, really need it. Yeah, like, so it's well, like no, but, the forces are driving them to but it. But no, no, no. Because they knew it was there in that sort of 10 meter vicinity or whatever. But because the ship's there, they presumed it was in the ship. So then Luke and Lando would search the ship and it wasn't there. And then it's just desert. But they didn't know like there's these tunnels underneath the ship, which is where it was. So what they're picking up on is obviously what's underneath the desert, not what's above the desert. Yep. And they never went down there. Oh, yeah, that's right. They never went down there. Good point. Good mm. point. So when they get the dagger, Ray picks it up and she immediately can tell that horrible things have happened with it. And we kind of get an echo of screams and voices. And we notice that there's an inscription on it. C-3PO says that he can read it, but it's sort of encrypted and he's not allowed to repeat it because it's in a Sith language, which is funny. That I guess that he was programmed not to repeat Sith. So they realize that they have to figure out how they can get C-3PO to read it. At this point, we see a big old serpent and they all get their weapons out and Ray tells them to back off. She disables her lightsaber and she goes up to the serpent. This is one of the times, Al, where you're talking about Al. Uh, Acts Al, of Al, kindness Ray. number one. She is an act of kindness. She notices that the serpent is injured. It has a big cut in it. Presumably from Uchi, who probably attacked it. A long time ago, though. <laughs> like a, a long, long time, time ago. ago. But it's taken a long time to heal. How is it healed? So this is the moment. This is probably going to be one of the big talking points of this film. Ray puts her hand on the wound and closes her eyes and force heals the wound. Healing the serpent, it pacifies it and it wanders off, creating an opening in the cave. And then Ray tells BB-8, I gave it some of my life force. So some of her midichlorians then, that's what we're saying. But you knew that she was going to do that, right? Like once she stepped in to not kill the worm, you knew she was going to do that. How would you feel though? I liked about it. This, oh, this I liked force it. Skill? I, it made me happy. It made me happy. I liked it. I'll, I'll be it. completely honest because, yeah, it made me happy that kindness was solving their problem, which was great. It's obviously the classic, you know, the lion and the thorn, like it's a very classic kind of, you know, storytelling. 
my honest problem with it was in my head. My thing was like, I don't think Jedi can do that, can they? But in my head, I was like, it's been a while. Maybe at some point they do that. And I've forgotten. Because it's such a just a trope you see in other films with people where it's like, yeah, I've got a little bit of power mm-hmm. and I can heal you. That I honestly, for a moment, I was like, maybe they did this at some point. And I mean, obviously, they're more powerful in this one. So maybe they can just do it to a higher level than some of the others. I know Yoda managed to heal a little bit didn't he has he never like done anything with luke and stuff i felt like he had helped some i don't remember yeah so i was looking it up and it is definitely it's this is not a new idea within star wars maybe to the more general viewers but going online and reading about it it's been in previous stories it's been in plenty of games i i knew it had been in games but i always just thought it was like a thing from video games of like when you lose power you hit you need to heal but apparently it was an actual thing and also a reference that i saw was that you kind of see glimpses of it in a new hope when luke is passed out and obi-wan stands over him and puts his hand on his forehead and luke reawakens just like reiki basically isn't it it's definitely an idea that is already floated around a fair bit in the Star Wars universe. Do you have a problem with them, Alex? It didn't shock me. I was just like, oh, yeah. It didn't shock me, and I was kind of half expecting it. So I'm going to jump to talking about The Mandalorian for a quick second. So this is episode seven. If no one's seen episode seven of The Mandalorian yet, there's a little spoiler here. But I was anticipating it because in the first episode or first second episode of The Mandalorian, when The Mandalorian's injured, we see who's affectionately known now as Baby Yoda reach out for him and reach out to put his little hand on the Mandalorian's wound. And already at that point, I was like, oh, he's going to like, we're going to see, he's trying to heal him here and we're going to see some kind of force power connected to that. Interestingly enough, episode seven of the Mandalorian came out the night before, uh, was released earlier this week, right before the rise of Skywalker. And in that episode, Carl Weathers' character gets like a crazy injury on his arm and baby Yoda goes over and force heals him in much the same way that Ray does it here. Everyone was like, "Is it, it, there must be a reason they're releasing that episode early. Like what could possibly tie into this? Because obviously it's probably not going to be characters or story threads or anything. But yeah, that was it literally, was it? And they just wanted to double down on, no, no, this is law now because we've placed it all over the play, you know, all over. Which is interesting because that does show they're planning things to a certain degree with the Star Wars universe. Yeah, so it's definitely within there. And I think because I think for a lot of people, it will just be like, whoa, this is a force power we haven't seen. So I think, yeah, like you're saying, they're doubling down and being like, no, this is canon. This does exist. And- My only problem with it is not knowing the full rules and then not knowing because she does say it gives up some of her life force, which means she should get a bit weaker, I guess, each time she does it. I don't know if that then mm-hmm. rejuvenates or not. I don't know if we are. We were ignoring midichlorians, but I don't know if there's technically they are still canon. So it's like, is it just like a blood transfusion, but of the mind, you know, I don't know what the rules are here and we're going to get a scene later because then I'm just like okay well any death doesn't mean anything because now I know you can do certain healing and I don't know the parameters of that healing which means you can get away with anything in storytelling now which we're definitely going to get by the end of this film that's my only problem with it okay so then they get out of the tunnels and we cut to a shot of the Knights of Ren on a rock posing as the camera it's like an eyes around them looks awesome (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It's like the Aerosmith on top of something just playing a rock song. <laughs> it looks fucking cool. They're all just standing up there. The gang know that they can't get back to the Millennium Falcon because it'll 
sort of give away their position and the stormtroopers are probably already there. So they go to use Uchi's ship. At this point, Rey now senses that Kylo Ren is on the planet. So she wanders off the ship and out into the desert to confront him. Finn and Poe are like, hey, Chewie, go get her. So he goes off. And at this time, he's also holding the dagger. He's put it in his little rucksack. But he's captured, sadly. And we see him handcuffed. Apparently puts up not- We don't see him get captured. I feel Chewie would put up a fight. No. I feel he would kick some fucking butt. But yeah, we don't see him get captured. But Finn goes out to look for him and sees that he has been cuffed and he is being boarded onto a ship. At this point, Kylo Ren in his fighter comes flying through. Ray goes into full Super Jedi mode, does a flip over the fighter and cuts off one of its wings, sending the fighter crashing into the distance. At this I thought it was pretty cool, guys. Yeah, that was I another- I usually don't care about these things, but it was pretty cool. That was another trailer clip where people were like, is this training? Is it uh, just a dream? That was the first trailer they released. So this was yeah, the only yeah. thing I'd seen. Yeah. It's a shame to have seen the imagery, but it does. There's enough shots they cut for the trailer. It's still really powerful in the film. It's a cool moment. I always appreciate like these people are superheroes now so they can walk out of exploded, you know, shuttles like Ren does. What I don't get is that none of your clothes get burnt. It's like, are your clothes superhero too? Because <laughs> yeah, that thing like rolls and then yeah. explodes, right? At least have a serious post-concussion. Like it would not be fun. Force shield. Force clothes shield. New power you don't know about. At this point, Finn <laughs> is yelling out to Ray. He's like, they got Chewie, they got Chewie. She looks up and the ship goes flying off. And she, in a crazy super Jedi move, stops the ship and starts pulling it back with the force. But then Kylo Ren appears and he looks and he uses his power and they start having a tug of war with this ship. And she can't overpower him and they're kind of equal power. And it enrages her that she lets out some force lightning Sith style. To be clear, we've never seen the Jedi do this. Only the Sith do the no. lightning, right? Yeah. Which again, to Tom, was a signifier of, yep, 100%. I was right from that first scene. She is Palpatine's granddaughter or whatever. For whatever reason, that first time I watched it, it just rolled right over me. I was like, uh, whatever. Like, it's yeah. just like, I guess that's what it looks like when you're really powerful. <laughs> me too. For me, it was... But I wouldn't expect that from you. Because <laughs> <laughs> for me, it wasn't... I didn't even, yeah, connect it to Palpatine. I was just like, oh, she's still unbalanced with her force training and that she's being pushed into the dark side. And like her power is so uncontrollable in moments that that happened. But I will say this, I was heartbroken when I thought Chewie was dead. I, I was so was angry and sad, heartbroken, yes. Almost on I the verge of tears. I couldn't believe it, Alex. I yeah. couldn't believe it. I was like, they can't do that. (laughs) Bethany and I were just like, oh my God. I mean, no. Did they do that in the end? (laughs) We'll see. This is the thing, because I was like heartbroken, but that's awesome because I felt something and it was something unexpected. So I was heartbroken and angry, and I was like, now I'm fucking invested in this movie. Like, truly, I was having fun before, but now I'm emotionally invested. And then they take that away from you very quickly. Exactly. Damn it. Really quickly. (laughs) I I do gotta say, Ray's scream out to Chewie was really great. The whole it moment was, so was great and so powerful that, that I kind of agree, like, they should have had the guts to stick with it. 
No, no. Oh, no. I would have been so upset. No. There are three things in this movie that they needed to not reverse, and this was one of them for me. Um, Bethany brought up a really good point after the film where she was like having Ray deal with that conflict, that she had that moment and that she killed Chewing, which we see for a brief second of her having to deal with that and accept that. That would have been such a cool kind of motivator and forward thrust for that character. We would have needed a better scene of him going down with a fight. You know, we would have needed to see Chewie battling his way and then dragging him on there. We couldn't have just had him off screen. Oh, yeah, he's on that ship now. But that's, you know. Yeah, no. I was devastated. Chewie's my favorite. I don't want him to die. But that said, follow through. You know, this is the end. Like, let's follow through and let's have some emotional investment. And there's three times where they do this in the movie and I'm going to point them out where it's like you needed to keep going. This is the one maybe I can let go because I love Chewie the most. Let's say, fine, let him, let him come back. And anyways, you know, the world itself is hard enough. We don't have to lose Chewie, really, do we? No. No. <laughs> no. We need yes. to lose some other people. We need to lose, we'll to we need to lose we people. To yeah, so at this point, they escape and Rey admits to Finn that she had a vision of the Sith throne and that she was on it with Kylo Ren. Which I've seen that throne and I don't know if both of them could fit on it. So that's definitely a sort of... And he would have been sat on her lap for sure. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Well, they're both just levitating. Yeah. We find out the First Order kidnapped Chewie. We're on board the Star Destroyer. And Hux is speaking to Richard E. Grant, uh, Pride, his name is Allegiant General Pride, I think, like something like that. And that they have a valuable prisoner. Who could it be? Oh, it's Chewie. He's not dead. He got another, he was on another ship that we didn't see. <laughs> Which was hard to believe that, though. It yeah. was hard to believe that. It was too, <laughs> it like... Really was. Oh, yeah. Like, when you watched it the second time, Al, did you see a second ship anywhere? No, there's nothing. There's no hint yeah. of it. So, uh, that whole scene's edited very purposely, so you don't see him getting kidnapped, so you don't know they've already gone away with him, and then there's another ship for no reason. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, and that he has the dagger on him. C-3PO now admits to the gang that he has, yeah, because they're like, oh, he's got the dagger. What are we going to do? And 3 pos like, I've got it in my memory bank. Well, of like, course. You've how, got how, it in your memory? How were they all shocked about that? Of course, I he's agree. a robot. Once he reads yeah. it, it's stored in there. Yep. What yeah, the hell? Even I got that. <laughs> yeah. I mean. And they're like, the only way they can get it would be to do a total memory bypass on him. But then he would have all these memories wiped. And they're like, but doesn't R2 have your memories backed up? And he's like, oh, R2 can't be relied on. Classic 3PO style. R2's like the cloud, basically. You can't, you can't rely on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they decide that uh, this is worth way more than keeping 3PO's memory. So Poe says, hey, I've got a friend on an old planet called Kajimi. You know, black market droid hacker. We'll go there. We'll sort this out. So they fly there, but... They're followed by the Knights of Ren. And when they arrive there, the first now, order wait, wait, is Alex, clearly- Wait, you Alex, know, do you know how you know they're followed by the Knights of Ren and not by a friendly person? Wait, what happened? Because even the boosters on the fucking Knights of Ren ships are red. <laughs> like, <it's>, oh, <laughs> everything's right. so color-coordinated. It's like, surely your fuel source isn't different. <laughs> it's so fucking weird. But no, everything, cool. everything is powered by the color red if you're evil. I've got to, I need to rewatch this film. So when they get to Kajimi, for me again, like great world building in this, it's sort of like a rocky, icy, mountainous location. The First Order already there. They're raiding houses and kidnapping children, we later find out. Or we found out before that they're basically recruiting the kids and occupying this place. Are we allowed to point out? Because there's a lot of political messaging going on in this film, Alex. 
a lot Go for, it. for the Trump and the Brexit era for sure. And with people like J.J. Abrams who aren't outspoken in ways that some other famous people are, but they definitely, you know, have their politics quite open. This film is very open about the people need to rise up together, work together, be kind, have understanding, and we can overthrow, yeah, basically the right-wing governments. And the stormtroopers raiding the houses here are just like ISIS. And this is a time when that was like building its power in America. You mean ICE, not ISIS. Oh Sorry, my yeah, God. not ISIS. <laughs> Very oh similar. Well, I mean, well, like ISIS I, I, in I, other places. Yeah, no, no, no. I've seen many jokes about the parody between those two words because, yeah, the, mm-hmm. we you've been catching us left and right today. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you, Al, and I really see it too. Like, it really hit me when I don't know. Should I wait until we skip forward to that part, or should I just say now? um let's wait let's wait let's okay because this is the first time i was really like okay this is very visual imagery for what's been going on in america for the last couple of years mm-hmm. and it's definitely on purpose because it doesn't really need to be here at all but does it i think maybe it does not for their story it doesn't it does for the message but not for star wars story it's not really necessary it's interesting yeah looking at the political messages of the films and you look at last jedi where you know we have that scene on canto bite and the sort of message of like you know the rich are profiting off everyone. Like there are no sides to a war. Or they don't see sides in a war and they're just going to profit off everyone and the people are going to suffer. And yeah, here it's like, well, if we all get together, like we can overthrow these kind yeah, of Yeah, I think the messages in this film, they were great. I think they were good and, and needed too. So here is where we get our John Williams cameo. So they walk through like this bar slash kind of market black market kind of thing and john williams is the bartender man with the glass eye patch thing oh really and he kind of looks up and he sort of shrugs at them and it's it feels very sort of most icely cantina style with all the different cool aliens and costumes and yeah we get john williams with his little cameo there and here bb8 finds a new droid and sparks him back up yeah and i was actually surprised that he this droid has single word phrases and not beeps or boops. We have another moment of Ray showing kindness. The droid is scared of her and, and she's like, you were treated badly or something. I think she says to it. Yeah. I really like, is it D.O.? D.O.? D.O., yeah. Yeah, he's eventually like revealed him. to be called D.O. Again, voiced by J.J. Abrams. And I just want to be there for the meeting where they came up with this droid. Or like, let's have a uh, basically a puppy that's been mistreated. Who's yeah. incredibly It's like polite. my doggy. Yeah. That's what it is. Like, mistreated dog that's very polite. And it's just like, it's fucking wonderful. So cute. And I I'm like always it. amazed yeah. how they come up with new droids. And sure, it's low hanging fruit sometimes because it's easy to be as cute as they are. But like, it's great. They all have their own personalities. And sad. this one works really well with BB 8. <laughs> I yeah. just love when he said that's sad. <laughs> and then at one point, he's like, rolling. I only noticed the second time, but when later on, when they look, when they're separated and then they're rolling, and he just goes, Friends. <laughs> yeah. You just see them like, running in the distance. So cute. Yeah, so the stormtroopers are storming houses. The gang now run into Poe's old friend, Zori, played by Carrie Russell. And I really like her costume. I think it's so cool. I think the mask looks really cool. It's very Mandalorian style. Like, it yeah, feels like it's yeah. part of that show. Yeah, and she's pissed off that Poe ran out on her and then we kind of find out that Poe was part of this spice running gang before he joined the resistance and they kind of all get a kick out of it and they're like, you ran spice, Poe ran spice, spice runner, Let's, can I get some spice? Alex, spice running in the Star Wars lore 
Is this like the sort of kosher kid friendly version of like, is this weed running or would this be cocaine running or would this be, you know, what? Like what level of drugs are we talking with spice? I am. Well, spice is a real sure. drug here right now. Is to, it? Uh, yeah, yeah it's spice really is like yeah, it's synthetic cannabis here. Oh, okay. But it's bad. Like people end up in the hospital. They end up like going psycho and trying to kill people. It's really is that, bad. I, I mean, I presume, did they name that after then? Because Star Wars has had spice since since the old days, hasn't it? Like it's been called spice. Yeah, one. I feel like, well, I'm not too sure to be honest on that one. But I what, just what level of criminal activity this is. Because yeah. it's always like, sounds cute because it's spice running. <laughs> because I just think of, yeah, spices, spices. Like I know they're trying to go with, no, they're drug running. But it's like, how dark are we talking? <laughs> but yeah, are yeah. they drug running? Because like, how does that relate to him being able to do the wiring, hot wire a ship? He's done other things as well. It's just one of his jobs was, yeah. He was a yeah, and I think it's just like all the different, you in a gang you Shady have stuff. people with different strengths i guess yeah so they have a quick little battle and ray just goes berserk on all of them and we have an image here that's very similar to solo in solo when amelia clark's character and what's his name paul bettany's character i can't remember the character names have like a face off where she's on the ground and like pointing her dagger up and he's you know what I mean? Like it's like that same kind of diagonal yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same kind image, of tableau. Yeah. And Zori's like, you're all right. And Ray, again, is kind and holds her up and gets her up in, yeah. And, and they, she says she cares as well, which is nice. Like, I don't know, it's great. And then, yeah, and they're really like, they really keep sort of emphasizing this here, Ray's kindness, don't they? Because they do bring it up later, I think. And then they go to see Babu Frick. <laughs> wow! Oh my god, I like Babu. <laughs> Babu was getting oh, lots, was of, lots of laughs part of the in, movie. in the movie. My mom, who came to see He's it with us, so was cute. was laughing very heartily every time he came on screen. I love it so much, and now I'm trying not to think that it's Moaning Myrtle who does the voice because that makes me like it a little bit less. <laughs> but I love Babu, and I love. I don't know if this makes sense. How puppety it looks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like it that it's, like it's, it's kind of got those puppety imperfections that give no, it more same, life and character. It's the same in, with in Mandalorian with Baby Not Yoda. Like the reason why everyone loves it is because yeah, like the animatronics are fantastic, but also not you know it's not real. Like you can tell it's a fucking puppet, yeah, yeah, and that's very endearing. I think he's kind of tells them that he's going to wipe C-3PO's memory and that the chances are that they won't be able to restore it. It's like the fragmented English that he does that I only noticed the second time that it, there's bits where he's speaking English, but just in this really weird way. Yeah. He's like, all right, you got black, black, black. <laughs> C-3PO's memory, it's so cool. It's really cute, really cute. In the trailer, when they showed some of his workshop, you could see old Trade Federation droids hanging from the background, but I struggled to notice them. Here cut out. Did you see him in the trailer then? You get like one little shot of him, but you get right. the whole thing of 3PO saying, I want to take one last look at my friends. Yeah. So, okay. we get that moment. And here's my second thing that they have to fucking follow through on because this is such a lovely moment. And the droids have been the bridge to every series. Like the droids are really, you know, the heroes in the way in the background. And they do this wonderful moment of him saying, yeah, I'm just looking at my friends for one last time. And it really like hit me again. It's like, oh, I feel emotional because there are stakes here. And he's aware of what's about to be lost and he's sacrificing it for the greater good. And that's wonderful because he gets to be a mm -hmm. hero again rather than mm -hmm. just a comedy sidekick. 
And then uh, later on, they just take that away from you, <laughs> like so easily. With, oh yeah, no, backup worked. It's fine. He remembers everything. And yeah. I knew really that was going to happen, me. though. I it knew it was going to happen. So much. No, I knew they were going to do it, but I just hoped that it won. I was hoping, like, do, are you guys going to have the conviction to follow through on anything, particularly since this is the last one? And my pitch would but be, at least they, imagine. For but them, at least they kept it for a while. Come on, he just disappears for most. Like it's just there then to be comedy, as in, oh, I don't remember anybody, which is fine. Yeah, but then. They just take it all back again by the end. And my pitch would be then for in the future, you know, like with the next series and pretending, let's pretend they mean it and the Skywalkers don't come back and it is new characters. You could still have C-3PO and his memory though then has started from this point, but he can have glitches, you know, there could be moments where he's suddenly remembering things yeah. from before, but it's not coherent all the time. And mm, it would be such a fucking yeah, cool I'd character like to like carry through. And instead it just, it's a sacrifice that means nothing again. George Lucas had said the whole saga was through R2-D2 and C-3PO's. Like, it was their story. It's through their eyes. You don't really get much R2 through this whole trilogy, though. You get a lot of C-3PO in this. But they're also the only characters to be in all nine films. They do that. Poe and Zori are having a chat on the rooftop. You know, he sort of... I know I really liked this moment with Poe because in Last Jedi, we get all this sort of false bravado. And here we get a moment where he really questions his part in the Resistance and whether they can can win this war and it's Zori that kind of gives him the encouragement that you know if you she gives him the line which he repeats later of like people will help you if you lead them or whatever it is and they have a moment and he asks her to come and join them and she says that she's going to run away to the colonies and he's like how can you do that and she has a first order captain's medallion which then gives them like free passage to wherever you want like unchecked basically yeah and he says well he's got to stay in and she asks him to come, sorry, and he says that he's got to do the war. This is video game logic because in the next, it's like it introduces medallion because in the which basically is a save all can do anything medallion because in the next scene they can only progress the story of this movie with that exact medallion, and yeah, those are yeah. the story things that really annoy me. You can tell the writers it got to a point. It's like okay, now they're going to go onto the ship, and then at some point someone's like, wait, how did they get onto the ship? It's like. Well, we could do this, or we could flip through this. I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. that's going to add another scene. We don't have time for that. And I'm like, all right, we need like just something that just lets them skip everything. Let's introduce mm -hmm. it in the scene before a magic coin. Off yeah. you go. It's really frustrating. Yeah. But hey. And how easily she gave it over. Yeah. And it's I like her only ticket yeah. out of there. Tom had real yeah. problems with how easily yeah. she switched. So I was like, look, it's just yeah, about. Yeah, she switched pretty quickly. I was like, there's just about enough there. Because you can tell they obviously have some romance going on between them. And she likes him. She wants him to you know run away with her. So it's like, yeah, you know, I can believe it that she's more just upset that he left. Like the money he owes and everything else that he owes isn't as important to her than the fact that she wants to see him do something right with his life. And now he is. He's mm -hmm. fighting this war that means something. So I think yeah. she's, you know, proud of him. And another moment that she says, which we kind of hark back to later, is she says to him that they're not alone. And that the First Order and the, the Sith basically make you, they win by making you feel you are alone. And that becomes like a big theme later on. I'll tell you what makes you feel like you're alone, Alex, when you send out a message at the Battle of Crate and no fucking people turn up. <laughs> so yeah, when he says exactly. you're not alone, it's like, uh, yeah, we are. <laughs> we uh, just lost a battle. There's about, yeah, we lost a battle and there's about 20 of us left. It's like, no, you cool, they'll come. Uh, we tried that <laughs> and no one fucking showed up. So uh, another Ray kind act, which you've listed down here as kind act number four. Dio has a squeaky wheel. Danny, doesn't he just say squeaky wheel? Squeaky wheel. <laughs> squeaky yeah. wheel. Fixed. 
Thank you. Ray. Oh, that is so nice very of you, kind. Ray. Very kind. Thank you. Thank you. That is very nice. <laughs> Ray, yeah, that is Ray. Kind. Fixes, that is kind. It. I love it. It's so good. My accent's really bad. Borderline racist, but I don't know who to. <laughs> I don't know either. I'm, wor- I'm the worst. Borderline Trade Federation. <laughs> it was a little Trade Federation. Anyway, we are pleased uh, to meet our acquaintance. <laughs> Is it racist if you're doing an impersonation of a racist accent? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the question. That's the question. Ray has a moment where she now remembers where she saw Uchi Ochi's ship. And it was the ship in the flashbacks uh, that she had when her parents left her on Jakku. And she realizes and remembers that her parents were on the ship, on Uchi's ship. You guys getting any clues now with her memory? Like what's how it's unraveling Ray's story? Because I wasn't. No, I I know. It just was. I will say, going back to the Force Awakens just before this, I was appreciative that his ship is the ship in her flashbacks in the Force Awakens. Um, So it's there if you were paying attention enough in the Force Awakens. As soon as you see his ship, you'd know. C three PO now is rebooted. Babu Frink is really happy, and he sits up and he has red eyes because red. You got to sit. It has to be red. Yeah. It's gotta be, that's the law. Uh, and one of my three favorite moments as well after this. Is it when Babu Freak shouts out? Yeah. I sent Katie just before you guys went in. I said, I've got three favorite moments in this film that aren't going to be spoilers. And I want to see if you could spot them. And one of them was, there'll be a small thing that at an inappropriate moment will go, way <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah. he fixed the brain. <laughs> and like yeah. C-3PO gives them the sort of bad news of the SIF inscription. And then Babu's just like, what? <laughs> it's so good awesome i love uh, it yeah so yeah 3po gives them reads out the inscription basically which tells them the location of the second wayfinder and gives them the coordinates which is it at this point where it's revealed does he actually say where to go or do they find that out later does he say uh, so that it end or basically is what it- they find out everything they need to here because again exposition in every scene to lead you to the yeah. next. So we find out that the next Wayfinder is on the Death Star 2 on Endor. Uh, all the remains of. Oh, hey! It was a bit Mario. Ren now <laughs> arrives on Kajimi with his knights and they start searching. Ray runs outside and she sees this Ray Star Destroyer up above and she has a feeling and realizes that Chewie is still alive and on Ray's ship and that they have to go up and rescue him. And get the dagger so at this point they escape yeah and this is what we were talking about zori now gives poe the medallion slash key <laughs> i like how here you've written now which is lucky because they couldn't do the next scene without it that's <laughs> <laughs> true i also think it's always yeah. lucky in films i have a nightmare in our day and age of inputs and outputs on computers and bits of machinery i just love that everything operates by the same usb plug in future sci-fi landscapes <laughs> like every yeah. robot plugs into every machine plugs into every ship there's like a perfect little slot for this coin to go into their ship it's like it's a well thought out world in the future everything just works okay so now the gang is on the first order ship i don't know if you guys noticed here but i noticed a lot of the stormtroopers when they were speaking that it was a mix of female and male voices there is a very assertive and appreciated attempt here to introduce more females overall like we're going to notice in a bit they're going to have to replace old dominic gleason's character uh, sorry, Domino Greason? Domino Greason. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're going to have a female takeover for that role as well. A very austere 
very austere woman who we don't see again other than that one bit but but yeah there's definitely they're sprinkling more throughout which is great yeah so they get on the ship ray they are confronted by stormtroopers and ray uses mind control powers and and tells them you know (laughs) doesn't she say like we're grateful that you're here or something yeah yeah, there's a like, well, yeah, it's like, thanks for coming, guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, the stormtroopers get like, really. Yeah. yeah. Very surfered, bro. Yeah. And then as they're doing this, Ray senses the dagger. So she goes her own way while Poe and Finn go to free Chewie. And Pow Zip laser battle. <laughs> That's what happens. Yeah. So they get in a big blaster battle, but they all get captured. There's two things I appreciate in the Pow Zip laser battle. Number one is the cool shot, which then I found out was in the trailer, which again, I'm glad I didn't see, but where the camera is really low and it's just dollying backwards fast as they're shooting towards us and stormtroopers are falling in front of the camera mm-hmm. lens as it moves backwards. Looks really cool. But the other thing I really appreciate, which at the time, first time I was like, why did I like that so much? And then the second time I realized, oh yeah, it's because they never miss, like the heroes never miss in Star Wars films. And there's a bit where Finn and Poe are shooting. And Finn shoots at some stormtroopers that are hitting them, and then he misses one and hits the wall, and then shoots again and hits the trooper. And it made it feel so much more real that, yeah, it's not just constantly never missing. There's an actual miss, which is great. Yeah. The funny bit here when they get captured as well, I think one of the stormtroopers tells them not to say anything, and Chewie just goes, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which I like to think is a swear word. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> Ray finds the room with Darth Vader's helmet, which immediately taps her into a Skype call with Kylo Ren. Yeah. And at this point, Kylo tells her that he knows who she is and that he never lied. Her parents were nobody. But because they chose to be nobody, to hide the somebody they really were. <laughs> It's just so stupid. You can't just even... tell her already. <laughs> like, just say, "Look, we've got new screenwriters. Yeah. They've changed their mind." <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. Yeah, um, but fine. It doesn't work at all. Yeah, it's funny. This is because the most brazen one for me. It's their most what? Brazen one where it's just like, yeah, you really have to like go out of your way, and they're not even attempting to do it well. They're just like, I never lied to you. Your parents were nobody. Well, they were definitely somebody, but they pretended to be nobody. And that's as good as being nobody. So basically, I'm not a liar. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. This one is very brazen. It, it feels like how you described. It does, for me, it doesn't feel as much of a middle finger, though. It doesn't feel as, as stabby. As, there's one later that is really, for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. The lightsaber? No. Wait. No. All right. Maybe we've got a different one. There's definitely one with a lightsaber. We'll get to it. So we get a flashback now of her parents hiding her. And then we have a lightsaber fight, Skype lightsaber fight, which keeps cutting between Kylo Ren on Kajimi and then fighting around the sort of marketplace there and then them fighting on the Star Destroyer. I really am enjoying this like cut between these two different locations and then it actually touching and things like that. Uh, I, th- I think it's cool. Mm-hmm. I like oh, it's it. really coolly shot. Like this scene's so fucking coolly shot, mm-hmm. and how they start to introduce the things interacting, like a basket of little yes. berries fall mm-hmm. on his side, and then they hit in her side, and so cool. And they pan behind him, and on one side he's in his place, and then on the other side he's in the other place. Like it's really mm-hmm. nicely shot. Did you notice? You know when we get the flashback of her parents hiding her, Alex? I know you've just gone back, right? Had you just rewatched Rogue One? 
I had gone back and watched Rogue One, yeah. And I watched Force Awakens probably three weeks ago. Okay, because I rewatched Rogue One the day when I went to see Rise of Skywalker the first time. And so I had that fresh in my mind. I'm watching her parents hiding her in this flashback. Again, they're not giving it the time, so I'm not asking for it to compete. But it just really explicitly showed, because obviously the opening of Rogue One is that yeah. very, very similar kind of setup. But just the way that it's shot in the opening of Rogue One has this you know, fucking wonderful mood and wonderful vibe to it all and very grounded. And here it's just very, you know, flashy, flashy, flashy. You know, it's just very yeah. like, there's no personality. And it really showed me the different ways that these two films have been directed and the different tones, just how separate these tones are. Because it was a direct comparison I could make, you know, with how they approached that. Yeah, and it's like, for me, thinking back to this moment, it's all very wishy-washy. I can't remember distinct things. And again, it's going to this whole thing of, this movie doesn't allow for any moments to breathe or any moments to kind of sort of gestate and, and sort of just bubble a little bit and let the audience kind of sit in it for a while. It's very different to Rogue One in that sense and many of the other films. Anyway, moving on. They continue this lightsaber fight, eventually smashing Vader's helmet, which then lands in Kajimi, which immediately alerts Ren as to where they are. And he's like, they're on my ship. She's Let's in my back. chambers. That's it. She's in my chambers. Is that what it was? Ready. She's in my chambers. I loved his reaction I, I, to that. You could really see that like he was like so stoked that she's in his chambers. Yeah. yeah. He's like, <laughs> so I, I ripped so- the beads off of you. You go to my chambers. Yeah, the mm-hmm. plan is working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Soon we'll be sitting on the same throne. Yeah. This bad boy act is working a charm. <laughs> I like how that he just plays everything so cool. He's like, oh, she's in my chambers. And it's like, you would be like, what? I just came down here and you went up there and now you're in my bedroom. You're like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> so uh, Chewie um, and Finn and Poe are to be executed. Um, Hux decides he wants to check in on this and he tells the stormtrooper, let me do this. And he takes the gun at this point. <laughs> Poe says to Finn, so, so what are we going to... What were you going to say to Ray back on Pisano? He's like, now's nah, not the time to tell you. And he's like, is there a better time to tell me? Where they have this little exchange and then suddenly the blasters go off and they turn around and Huck says, I am the spy. <laughs> I really liked that moment. I laughed. I thought it was funny. It made me love Hux. I appreciated that turn. I really don't like his next moment. So Ren arrives back on the ship. I missed then the note for when... Because there's another bit in between then when Poe finds out that Finn has something to say to Ray. Because this is the last time we're going to have anything said about it, isn't it? When Poe's asking him and he's like, yeah, you tell me what does you. Because there's a bit where they're walking all together. And yeah, straight away after in the tunnels, I think even, where she's like, what were you going to say to me or whatever? And Finn's like, he just, he doesn't seem romantic about it at all. He seems like in a genuine, no, I will tell you, but not right now because Poe's listening. Yeah. But it doesn't seem cute. It seems like very, it seems quite serious in a weird way. I don't know. The tone both times to me is weird. It doesn't play romantic. Oh, I didn't Um, think it was romantic at all. Yeah, same. I think. What did you think it was? Do you want me to say what I think he wanted to reveal? Which is what I think they played. Yeah, what did he want to say? That he is force sensitive and has some kind of force feeling. Because then later on we get the constant, like so many moments of him emphasizing it's just a feeling. I have this feeling, blah blah blah. There's a mm, feeling, and then like sense. stuff stuff happens to Ray, and he's like Ray, and like he's 
connected to her in a way that we see between that we've seen in previous movies, like with Leia and Luke or Leia and thing, like where they mm. sense when the other one's in danger or something like that. And he constantly is like having these moments where for me it became like, okay, oh my God, yeah, I get when, it. when she dies and he senses that. He senses it and then sometimes later on when he's with Jana and she's like, what do you know, blah, 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 why do you want to do this? And he's like, it's just a feeling. And there's like this constant emphasis of him saying it's just a feeling. And so my impression and Bethany and I were both saying that it felt like, okay, he's got force powers or he's force sensitive and he's he's had some experience which he wants to communicate with her or that he can can sense her. So maybe they're gearing up to have his own spinoff like Solo where it's just him and he's like leading this like rebel troops of stormtroopers, stormtroopers that have turned to the good side. Maybe. Because, you know, that new girl was just like, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of us. And he was like, oh, my God, I'm not the only one. In that moment as well, he talks about like, she's like, oh, we just had this feeling. And he's like, oh, that was the force like. He, mm-hmm. he mentions the force being like the power that made them see the good in that moment. And he totally takes her under his wing. And another reason why I think that is just, again, being with J.J. Abrams and looking at Force Awakens is that the first part of The Force Awakens and even before it was released with the trailers, there was the misdirect was that it was going to be Finn that would be the Jedi uh, that would have powers and it turns out to be Ray, but I feel that maybe in his head he still had this idea for Finn to be by the force sensitive or have some kind of connection to the force. I don't think you're wrong and I hadn't considered it like that. And it makes sense in some ways. Like I do think, yeah, the character we're going to get later, like you say, she says that she just had a feeling, uh, but I felt that was part of a larger tapestry that's kind of a healthy thing. Again, another healthy message in terms of like, no, like there's this, the force is kind of all throughout everything, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. very, again, keying into the Buddhist kind of ideals that the Jedi are more akin to than the Christian ideals. Not that there's like a God directing everything. Yeah, yeah. But there is an energy in, in the universe and it might help your instincts, essentially. And we're all at least connected, even if we're not controlling fates and things like that, we are connected to each other and we can tell that stuff. So... Yeah, I hadn't even considered me that because because I'd, I'd heard a lot of people like Tom, for instance, came out. It's like 100% he wanted to tell her that he was in love with her. I was like, I didn't get that at all. And I love that they're not in love with each other. They are, but as friends, you know. And I love that most people in this film, it's relationships where everyone seems to love each other, but more as friends. Like it's not romantic. Yeah. No one's really romantic in this, which is nice. I like that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think is, again, great messaging. But the only problem I have with it is then, like, when they're sinking in the sand, I don't feel like his last sentence, like, a desperate thing of, like, oh, fuck, I never got to tell you, but I'm a little bit force-sensitive. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I don't feel like that would be a prescient thing to say to her when you're about to die. Mm-hmm. Like, definitely from that setup of them sinking, it does feel like it's, like, oh, I never even got to tell you that your parents are this, or I never got to tell you that I've always been in love with you, or I mm-hmm. never got to tell you that, you know, someone murdered whatever, your best buddy. Like, it feels like it's a really important bit of information. I'm in line with what you're saying as probably being what it was. I feel it could have been written better. <laughs> like, I don't feel they introduce it in the right way. And there's no payout for it. Like, there's nothing at the end. We need a payoff for that. There's no payoff. I think, yeah, you're right. It's not written in a way. For me, then it was like, yeah, it kept coming back. But then there was like, yeah, there was no payoff. Which I wouldn't put it past that they are setting up things for future stuff because there are other setups here for future stuff that we will be hitting pretty soon. And I guess the reason why I didn't think it was potentially a love thing at the quicksand point was that I was like still thinking that Rose could come into the picture at that point. 
No. <laughs> she gets not. Uh, Rose has wilted. So, to jump back where we were at, Rand arrives back on the Star Destroyer and has this confrontation with Rey in front of all these stormtroopers, which is really cool, and reveals to her that she's a Palpatine, that she is the granddaughter of the Emperor Sheev Palpatine. Sheev. That's his first name. After the- Because he, well, he doesn't use it much. After the film, I think it was Heaven, her and I were talking and she was like, I was just, I think it was Heaven. So someone, one of our friends was like, I was just trying to think of a time. When, when did Palpatine have the time to have kids? Have a family. Yeah, kissy, kissy. I know. <laughs> but then it's maybe like what you were saying, Al, you know, the thing that you liked about the prequels was that- the Sith existed and had created this whole illusion around them of like being yeah. active. It's more political and real. and Yeah. So that would have been entirely plausible and there was nothing. Yeah. His character in, in those films, he definitely could have had a mistress or whatever. Yeah. For sure. In those films. I'd buy that. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I mean, when we all know the cultural impact of Empire Strikes Back and Vader saying, Luke, I am your father. How did this impact you guys this reveal was it a big twist could you see it coming Mm, i thought it was a great twist i really like this twist and it makes sense and it, it makes me a little bit more excited about her journey i wasn't like super shocked i was just like oh that makes sense the problem with all these things is people cut all the fans you know pick through the what's left and there aren't many options that's the thing. There aren't really yeah. many options for whose kid she could be if it's going to be someone that's important that we've already heard of. And this was obviously one of the ones people have thrown around early on. Yeah, it is the one that I think makes the most sense, especially if they finish the story in the right way. And we'll get to that soon. Mm-hmm. But as a moment, yeah, nothing's really that big anymore because we're just more of a conceited audience. Like you can't have moments as big as I'm your father anymore because we expect that. Going yeah, on. yeah. You can't. So to subvert our expectations is so, so tricky. You know, it's totally decent, and I wasn't looking at because she has a weird face. <laughs> like she, like she's obviously strikingly beautiful, but it's got a, it's quite an interesting face. And as soon as she said that, I was like, yeah, I can kind of see it. <laughs> I can yeah. kind of see some Palpatine <laughs> going on in you. I don't know. <laughs> no, but just like she is, and this is to credit to her as an actor. Like she can play it as evil with that face as mm. well as kind. As so she like, does, okay, cool. as she does in a little bit on the yeah, ship. She plays that balance really well in mm-hmm. this one. My bigger problem was they bring up a word that I, you, Alex, you can tell me if it's been in the previous films, but a dyad, which I had not heard of before. No, and I miss that. This is a reoccurring thing in this film. They bring up a few, like two or three times, that she and he are a dyad in the Force, which then the Emperor is going to make a point of later is what can basically, you know, resurrect him fully, which is that it's something that only happens every few generations. It hasn't been seen for many generations, he says, where two Force powerful people are in sync with each other and yeah can sort of combine their powers essentially to go super super saiyan right which i was just like okay that's again they're adding more stuff and i can understand if you're a real star wars fan maybe this is frustrating for me it's like well at least we get to see some new things but i just don't understand the rules of all of this so it does let does you kylo do ren say it in this scene does he say it in this scene he says it in this scene he says we are a diet in the force right because all I yeah, remember is him saying, I'm the grandson of Darth Vader and you're the granddaughter of Palpatine. Like, together we can... For me, it was just like he was repeating those sort of beats we've heard before. Of like, if we join forces, then we can rule the galaxy. But I miss the diet thing. No, he, he like explicitly is like, we are special because we are connected in a way that yeah, other right. people aren't. 
Which is, again, it's fine by me, but I just want to understand a little bit what that means. Yeah. You just flirt with it. They don't get into it. Yeah. Something I'm not aware of, but I'll look into it. And I'll pay attention for that when I go and see it again this weekend. So, yeah, the other guys are led to the Falcon by Hux. And one of them is like, why did you do this? And I hate, I hated this line. And also because I was thinking, oh, Hux is going to be in this whole movie. But he says, like, I don't care who wins as long as Ren dies or whatever. And I was like, oh. Yeah, that was a little annoying again. Yeah, that was a little annoying. It really annoyed me. I know. Well, it doesn't matter because he's killed in the scene. It doesn't matter. So, yeah, later on he gets revealed to be the spy and Richard E. Grant just dispatches him in such a nonchalant manner that it's just, it's perfect. It's a perfect way for Hux to be out of the picture. Two films too late. Yeah. Three films too late. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, they now fly to the planet that the Wayfinder is on. Now- Is it a planet, though? It is a moon planet. Oh, it's a a planet. You you corrected me with this. They fly to Endor, and people knew and had been talked about in the trailers that- no, this was on Endor, the Death Star, because obviously the Death Star's too. The battle happened on Endor and people were like, oh, is this a part of the same planet the Ewoks are on? But it's not. So the, the planet that the Ewoks is on, or the, the moon, so Endor, so listen to this. I looked it up. So this is why it can get confusing for people. I was confused. Because again, when I looked it up on Wikipedia, they just say, oh, they're on Endor. Which okay. then is confusing. So Endor is a gas giant and so probably not good to go there. Yeah. So Endor is a gas giant, which has, I think, 11... Oh, here we go. So this is why it's confusing. Endor is a gas giant located in the Endor system. Um, uh. And Endor is orbited by nine moons, the largest of which was known as the forest moon of Endor, which is where the Ewoks live. The ocean moon, which they fly to and which the remains of the Death Star fell into, is called Kef Beer. Where are people getting this info? Because is it? I don't. I didn't hear it in the film. So the whole thing that led me from to Kef Beer was on the Wikipedia page talking about Endor. It said that it was like IGN has stated that the ocean moon is called Kef Beer, and then so I typed in Kef Beer, and it led me to the fan Star it's Wars like from the art Wikipedia books and stuff like that. Yeah, and then it's now been released like that. It's called Kef Beer, and then it's another one of the moons. Yeah, I like it. It's all grassy and oceany. Yeah, and it's so like it's a cross between island and then that planet in Interstellar. Yeah, it really is. And here they find as they're landing, we see a woman on a horse or a kind of pony thing scanning the ship, uh, Malam Falcon, as it goes past, and that turns out to be a new friend, Jana. And she goes and tells them that they were all stormtroopers who deserted at the Battle of Ansett Island because they were ordered to kill a whole group of people and they couldn't do it. And that's the conversation we get later with Finn. And she, What's the Battle of Ansett Island? I have no idea. Okay. I was just checking. We hadn't seen that. I was checking that wasn't one we'd like, seen before. Yeah, okay. I have no idea. Some nice little expanded universe layering in there. But yeah, I'm not sure. They see the Death Star. The ocean is stormy with giant waves. And she tells them, you can't go over there. We'll have to go back. I'll help you put your ship back together. And we'll take a skimmer out there when the seas die down in the morning. But as Al said, we've got 16 hours. And they've probably covered at least five of them. <laughs> so they tell Jana, like, okay, cool. You help us fix the Falcon. And as they're doing that, Ray decides that she's going to just go for it and she gets a skimmer and she goes sailing into the Death Star. 
Can I tell you what I find more improbable than her sailing into the Death Star? What? The dagger map? Yeah, the fucking dagger map. What really annoys me with this stuff in films, because here's what I like. One of the things I like about this film is this is like an old fashioned. It's more like an Indiana Jones than a Star Wars. Mm -hmm. This is like we're on an expedition going from like planet to planet to planet in search of this treasure, essentially, which I think is really cool. And I love it. Yeah. And they pull out from the dagger this little sort of arc, which helps her line it up with the ship to find out the position of where the Pathfinder's uh, hidden away. But you have to be standing in the exact right yeah. spot to do that. Like, there's nothing telling them where to stand. It's a massive landmass. They could be standing anywhere looking at the Death Star. That she just happens to stand within the sort of 10 feet circumference that you need to be in for that to work. And it really frustrates me. Yeah. For me, I was having moments where I was thinking, like, if this was an Uncharted game or even a Tomb Raider game, the first bit of information you would get, yeah, would be a location that you have to, like a, an exact location that you have to go to and to stand, stand at. And then yes. you could unravel that and then it would be like a light refraction thing or some kind of thing. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's so improbable to line off something exactly like that. But I guess they've got the force. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this is what's funny with these movies is like, they are so video gamey now. Like they are so video gaming. And what's funny is to get to a point with some of these movies where you can go, Video games write it better. (laughs) Yeah. They do. Like these types of things where it's just about entertainment and chasing the mouse tail of the next exposition and set piece. Video games have got smarter at doing that. Yeah. And movies haven't. And it's kind of like maybe play a few video games if you want to write this kind of thing. So you you make it make sense. Or hire some of those writers. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So Ray goes sailing into the Death Star wreckage. We get a sort of throwback to Ray in The Force Awakens where she's kind of like mm-hmm. in scavenger mode, climbing up this wreckage. We see old OG stormtroopers just strewn about, which I thought looked really cool. And then we see her in the throne room, the famous throne room in the last scene of Return of the Jedi. And a side door suddenly opens and she goes in and then has a moment where she sees and confronts her dark side self who has a double-bladed lightsaber and... Sharp Valak teeth. Yes. Like in, sharp, in sharp conjuring. <laughs> <laughs> Again, think about this moment. This moment in Return of the Jedi when Luke's like battling with his self. This moment, even in The Last Jedi, isn't it? Where Rey is in the mirror hall mm-hmm. with herself. And you give this a scene. You know, you give this some weight. In this movie, this is about 15 seconds long. Yeah. It's it's just insane. She just gets kind of like, boo, get out. Like, here's the moment. Now get out, do the next moment. And then, yeah, bumps into all Kylo Ren. Yeah. It's just funny like, how quick they brush through this. In Empire Strikes Back, when Luke goes into that cave, that moment is like slowed right down and you have like Vader walking out towards him and you see like Luke's trepidation in confronting him and then they have that brief scene. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. But it happens really quick. Ren turns up and... That you get this one shot of them facing off in the throne room, which I think looks so cool. It looks so, so cool. And then they... I mean, this whole battle's cool. Yeah, this face-off yeah. was pretty good. And then good. they start. It was pretty good. They kick off. <laughs> it's pretty good. Christina, that means it does, because I usually don't, I don't like the fight scenes, but it was pretty good. The ones, the fight scenes in this movie wasn't, was like not too bad for me. Yeah, no, I think I had lots of great lightsaber battles in this movie. And, but this is like the the big one. This is the biggest biggest one. And, you know, usually they're saved till the end. Whereas you would say that the end isn't quite a lightsaber battle. No, it's not. We'll get More that. like a lightsaber um, battle. 
<laughs> so <laughs> yeah, we good. have this big battle. Finn and Janna have got to the ship, and Finn like is trying to get to Ray, and he screams out to her through the rain. But she force pushes him back, and then she does a big. F- He's doing that fucking thing people do in movies, where they just scream someone's name. It's like, what's the best that can happen? What do you really? Yeah, hope and really at this point, I mean, look how strong Ray is. Like, is he going to do anything to yeah, help her? Let no, her He's just going to distract her. Like, there is no reason for him to really go out there. It's just kind of like she doesn't need you anymore. Getting in the way. Yeah, it's just like go. And the thing that I was thinking here, and I think you were talking about it before Al about how sort of powered up she is in this film. And I had a moment where I thought about it here. It was like, you know, in the original, you know, Luke was starting from scratch and obviously there were also limitations in what they could show and do, but he was starting from scratch. And then in the prequels, we had like fully powered up Jedi and they could do all these crazy flips. And I was thinking like here, they kind of had to start again because Ray's starting from scratch, but yeah, they've had to like fast forward it and ramp it up so quickly that yeah, now she's doing like crazy giant backflips and leaps and it's pretty wild. And then you get just awesome Adam Driver. I mean, when we've talked about him throughout this trilogy, we've often just gone to the physicality he brings to this performance and his physical performance. And the shot of him you get as he walks through the rain and the waves is so yeah. so good cool. unfazed Surpri- i thought i wouldn't have been surprised if he'd been topless as he emerged from the waves <laughs> <laughs> yeah so then as this fight happens we get a moment where we go back to the resistance base and maz canada i think leia gets up and walks off and maz says basically straight to the audience that leia has to she knows what she has to do she knows now. what she has to do she has to call to kylo and it will use all of her energy I mean, here's the problem that we have. Yes, they have to get rid of Leia somehow in this movie somewhere because they weren't smart enough to do it in The Last Jedi. Let's be honest. In a moment that was really affecting. And the problem that I have here, this is the moment where it couldn't be more transparent because it's out of nowhere. She's going to be in silhouette throughout all of this. So, you know, it's not actually Carrie Fisher. You're then going to have Maz, yeah, basically saying to the audience, oh, it's like having to explain it to us because otherwise it makes no sense. Yeah. So they have to say, oh, now she knows what she has to do. It's going to take everything she has. To what? To to fucking Skype in with her son, who she's done many times before in the previous films. Like, And it's just fine, but here it's going to cause death. And they do a thing, which I wish there was a word for, maybe there is, and I just don't know it. But where it's like a film logic thing, because she's going to like basically go into Ben's mind stop him essentially but i don't think she's like force controlling him or anything she's just kind of giving him pause for thought with positive feelings or something i don't know it gives ray then enough time to kill him and then as he dies they're going to cut that in with leia's hand like opening you know she is dead she's laying down she knows that this is going to kill her and then she dies and it's this film logic of like okay it feels like it makes sense because you intersperse cutting her son dying with her dying but when you think it through it doesn't make any sense at all. Like this whole scene makes absolutely no sense. And it's so just like forced here to be here because they have to get rid of Leia somewhere. And this is the only place they can do it. Like there's nowhere else you can do it. I thought the reason why it kind of like her Skyping into her son was going to kill her was because it took so much energy because he was so much to the dark side that it was going to take more energy to get through to him. But it's never killed Elle. I know, like never but she's old now. She's, a, a she's old now. Reaching out. It didn't bother me. It didn't 
bother me too much either. I thought once she Skyped in and was able to get through to Ben, and then Ben felt her die at that moment, and that's why he kind of opened up. That's not how it's cut. It's cut like she kills Ben and then Carrie Fisher dies um, like afterwards, once her son dies. Again, look, it's a moment that they get away with because, yeah, it's an emotional moment and I think it works for what the scene needs. It just really stood out for me. It's like, this is obvious, like you don't have any more footage. This is the only place you can possibly get rid of her. We're going to cut to lots of silhouettes mm. because you don't obviously have her to do these scenes. And then it doesn't make sense without a character turning literally to the audience to tell us what's going on. And it just stood out. Because the idea is that she connects to the Ben side or the Ben solo side of him to distract him long enough that he gets... Essentially, she knows that she has to distract him for Ray to kill him. And that's what... But they're so connected that we find out later that she doesn't slip into the force until his soul can join her, I guess. Or that I didn't get that. I didn't get connected. that part though. I didn't understand why that happened like that. So my expectation of how they were going to deal with the Leia thing, which I think could have still worked in this, was that whatever planet she was on would get destroyed. And then you could have had a moment where Ben and Ray both feel that and it distracts them enough. But oh, I, that would have been... Know. And my, not to dive back into our re-edit of The Last Jedi, Alex, but when me and Tom came out and he was like, he was, we're talking about Last Jedi and our problems with that and I was explaining the things that you and I wanted to cut out and how we couldn't finish doing, I did most of that edit and I couldn't finish it until I saw this movie to know what's necessary for here. Because yes, we wanted to let Leia die in that moment in The Last Jedi and not have mm -hmm. her Mary Poppins back in. But I was like, I don't know how prevalent she is here. And the truth is, she's not in this movie much. You can easily cut her out of this movie. But this moment, I said, really screwed me. I was like, I don't know then how to edit around this. But I was like, yeah, but just imagine like if she had died in The Last Jedi. And imagine if we go into this with Kylo Ren haunted by the fact he killed his mother in the previous film. And that's pushing me from further into the dark side. And then imagine in this fight, Again, just have her call out to him. Like, have her from, you know, yeah. as a, you know, we don't need to see her as a blue force ghost. But just have her calling out to him would stop him. Like, that for me would have been more emotionally powerful yeah. than just, yeah, she's always out there. She could ring me anytime, but she never rings. Oh, she just did now. And for some reason, it killed her. But if she was dead already, like, that for me would give more reason for him to stop and be like the guilt he feels. And then she's calling out to him from beyond. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think that's basically, I'm saying there's still ways to save the last year. Like, <laughs> But you need to yeah, <laughs> this a tiny bit. Yeah, this, yeah, I know what you mean. Like on first viewing, I certainly didn't feel this moment was super jarring, but I felt, yeah, there could have been a cleaner way for us to know that, okay, they ran out of footage of, of Carrie Fisher. But I still felt they gave her a very lovely and respectful kind of send off. Yeah, I agree. I, actually, I thought, I didn't um, think she was going to be in it as much as she was. Yeah, actually, I was surprised too. So yeah, at this point, so she distracts Kylo long enough that he kind of turns around, that Ray takes his lightsaber, stabs him, basically killing him or almost killing him. And he's sat there and we get Ray's fifth act of kindness when she kneels down and then heals his wounds. Oh, and Bethany noticed as well that the scar on his face then disappears as well. Oh, oh I, I didn't, didn't yeah. notice that. Nice. And that she tells him for the first, uh, that she tells him she did want to take his hand, mm -hmm. but Ben's. Not Ren. That was so. <laughs> I, I really liked that. That was pretty good. It made me happy. Yeah, that was. Out of all the films in this trilogy, I found so many more emotionally resonant moments in this film. Same. And that seemed to like really resonate and that were performed better. And yeah. And it's because of these two. 
And then she steals his ship while Poe is just there with like, hey, wait. I know. <laughs> but then clearly someone watched a version of this and was like, let's put the Millennium Falcon in the background for like two frames because otherwise people are going to be like, how did Poe get out of this situation? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like flying in in the background. Ray takes Kylo Ren's ship and flies off. And then we have a moment with Kylo Ren standing at the edge of this wreckage and just sort of contemplating. And we hear a hey kid and... I think, I don't know about you guys, but I've, at first I was like, the expectation was like, oh, he's going to see Luke. He's going to see his old master. But I was like, Luke wouldn't call him kid. And then who should it be? Yeah, and no, I thought it'd be Han. Han fucking Solo. And Ben asked him like, is this easy a ghost? And he's like, no, I'm your memory. And they basically relive the moment from Force Awakens when Kylo Ren killed Han Solo. Almost word for word. Or pretty much exactly, yeah, the yeah. exact same moment as it's his it's memory. Great. Yeah, and it's so, I fucking love Mm -hmm. this moment. And the bit when he calls him dad and he's like, and you're seeing him, he's Ben Solo again. But it was awesome. Which again, because I can imagine this moment, and again, Hayden Christensen can do great acting, George Lucas can make great films. But I can imagine this moment in like the prequels with the wrong director and the wrong actors and just like it being Mm -hmm. cheesy as fuck and terrible. And instead here it's so sincere and so lovely because obviously Harrison Ford can own a scene and Adam Driver fucking plays this so well. Yeah, yeah it's really like, good. Just another moment and we don't have just like, f- he's in a fantasy space film and he's just fucking, he's bringing it. It's so good. And luckily we don't have Blue Force Ghosts because I've got to be honest, I wish they'd never had that design because I just love here, yeah, we can't have a Blue Force Ghost. It's just in his memory, replaying it. Yeah. Um, but it means we get, uh, you know, just an actor standing there, which for me is great. None of the CGI over the top of them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's like, yeah, just that bit when he calls him dad and then he's like, I know what I have to do. And he throws the lightsaber into the ocean. Awesome. Which I must admit, there's a little pang because I'm always waiting. I'm always like, I want to see Kylo Ren turn good. I want to see him kick some fucking ass. But I want him to do it with the lightsaber. And at that point, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> is he going to become his dad? Because he just will he just have a blaster then and no lightsaber from that one? Yeah. I was both happy and a little bit sad. The good thing about, you know, because the fear with this was like to wrap up the saga, they're going to bring back characters and it's just going to be a little too fan sort of servicey and it's not going to hold its place. But bringing Harrison Ford here as Han Solo and for them to relive that memory just felt really mm-hmm. earned and it felt it was right. This one made the most sense. Yeah. I think of every cameo, this is the one that made the most sense. Yeah, it was a great moment. Now we jump to the Emperor who is telling Richard E. Grant to come to Exegol to command the Final Order fleet. And we have a moment here where Richard E. Grant's character Pride says something like, I've been serving you since the old wars. And his eyes kind of glisten over, which made me think, is he a clone or is he just controlled? Is he like a puppet? Like... And I was very confused with that because then I was like, wait, has he was Richard E. Grant in the other film? I was so confused. Yeah. Know. And then I was like, is that character from something else? Like, Yeah, maybe it's from a cartoon. It's like if we didn't know Saw Gerrera for Rogue One, that yeah. would be confusing. I just want to point out something to do with the effects here. So this is the next bit's them blowing up Kojimi, right? Yes. In a very throwback explosion. <laughs> I love this. And this is one of the things I use as kind of like, there's a lot of CGI here, obviously, but this is a real thing they're blowing up for sure. Like this looks like how they used to look in Star Wars films when you blew up a planet and you actually had something physical that's blowing up. I mean, they've done it really fucking well. And sure, again, it's a little bit 
hokey is the wrong word, endearing in that, but I love that they're committing so much to as much practical as possible. Yeah, it was really cool. Basically, the Sith fleet and Sith Star Destroyer blow up Kajimi with a woman commander in charge telling them to blow it up. So yeah, again, now we're getting the reveal that Palpatine doesn't have a Sith army of Sith people or ghouls or zombies, but has just recruited more British people. <laughs> they're always Again, Brits. he might do. But, well, we're our own type of ghoul. Again, he might do, but he's keeping them in his chamber, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. Yeah, and so we realize now that all of these Sith Star Destroyers basically have Death Star planet-destroying weapons. Poe and Finn get back to the planet. Oh, you know what? Actually, to throw back to the planet that the Resistance are hiding on, there's a bit very early on when they first fly off that planet, and you see, and we'll see it now, hidden in like a cave with a tarp over it is the Tantive Four. You see like the back boosters. The what? The Tantive, the ship that layers on at the start of A New Hope. Oh, nice. I, well, I did notice one. I didn't know. I think it's that. It it's like it's one of those ships, but yeah. I miss Jeff, the guy in the little watchtower on these planets. Yeah. <laughs> Where is he? What happened to him? So yeah, Poe and Finn get back and they are told that Leia is dead and <laughs> that's it. I'll be honest, I didn't feel anything when Leia died, but when Chewie reacts, yes. that's when I felt Oh something. yeah, Chewie, Chewie so that was so sad. Because he's just, he's got no one left at this point. Yeah, you really feel it. It's like all the old guard have gone. I think in that moment, we cut back to another shot of Kylo Ren. I think very briefly. Do we? I need to see it again. Because I remember no, thinking like, oh, Chewie's got no one. But then I was like, oh, but Ben's back. Like, that's his family now. <laughs> mm. His direct family. I don't think we do. Maybe not. Anyway, I do love though. We have this moment and then like, okay, cool. We're all sad. Cool. Back to yeah. goofy comedy. You two elect each other. Generals. Thank you, General. Thank you, General. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 There's no time to lay in about. Yeah. They elect themselves generals, have that very funny interaction. I, I will admit, I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah. No, that's nice. Yeah. So, as I said before, the final order ship, everyone has a planet killing gun loaded on it. And the final order now send out a signal to the galaxy telling all planets to give up. But they don't know what to do. They don't know how they're going to beat this threat. But who's going to come back and give them hope? Fucking Lando Calrissian. Like a finished partying a Burning Man planet now. Let's <laughs> yeah. sort out this war thing. Yeah. There's going to be a ton of new kids of mine on that planet for next time. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> and this is where we learn the name for Dio for the new robot. They took a long time naming this robot in this mm -hmm. film. Yeah. And then we also find out now that Uchi, Ochi, whether he was a bounty hunter or Sith, was meant to bring little Rey to the Emperor all those years ago. But her parents saved her. They basically sacrificed themselves and ditched her on Jakku. But Rey has turned up on Akto or whatever that planet's called, hanging out with the Porgs. Turned to Bethany when the Porgs were on the screen. She rolled her eyes. I rarely get texts from your wife. Yesterday I got a text as soon as you guys got out of the film and all it said was fucking Porgs. <laughs> that was it. It's one shot. One shot. And I still I like, like Porgs. Pogs. I do. They were just overused. They were overused it's in The Last true. Jedi. But in just a shot here or there, great. So, yeah, she has destroyed Kylo Ren's ship. She's throwing wood at it. She's raging. Oh, and actually, Al, yes, this is the moment. We were right. You were right. In her rage and just disillusionment, she grabs her lightsaber and throws it towards the fire. But a forced ghost hand 
catches it <laughs> and comes out and it's Luke. And the first line he says is, a Jedi weapon deserves more respect. <laughs> Which is such, Which a, is a, such huge. a huge, huge middle finger to Last Jedi. The Last Jedi and when he just yeah, threw it over his shoulders and everyone was like, aghast everyone was living with that and you know watching that back and i think i said it when we did the uh, last jedi podcast i like the disillusioned luke and the idea that he went down that path i think it was such a great choice but people fucking hated it and were so offended by like oh a jedi would never throw their lightsaber and this is such a and to be fair mark hamill hated it as well yeah very vocal about that Mm -hmm. that's true and this just feels like such an unnecessary dig like this one feels really personal one of my favorite things, though, has been like all the people before who were just like already trying to trash this film. And I saw so much stuff yesterday of people who haven't seen this film yet trashing this film or saying, I'm not going to go and see it and blah, blah, blah. Just because they've heard that it has no new ideas or they've heard it's not brave like The Last Jedi or they've heard it's not very good or whatever from a critic review. So everyone's already like trashing it. Like, just go and see the fucking film. Yeah. And then the people who are like, why is Mark Hamill? Like Mark Hamill's second build on IMDb. Carrie Fisher is like number one build. So like, well, yeah, it's because who they are. Why isn't he out like supporting this film? Why isn't he on the press tours? Why doesn't he do this? Stuff? It's because he's in one fucking scene. <laughs> and everyone was genuinely like acting as if this tells you this film is terrible. I'm not going to go see it because it's trash. And Mark Hamill's not supporting it. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, he's in one fucking scene. That's why he's not supporting this fucking film. And they've always talked about throughout the series that as far as the old guard was that Force Awakens was Han's film. Last Jedi is Luke's. This is Leia's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which they didn't get to play out fully, sadly. <laughs> but yeah, that moment for me was just like, it's okay, we get it. You've made enough kind of comments of like, here's the things you want to kind of either get rid of or retro kind of fit to this film. But that was just a little bit too snarky. But how do you guys feel then with this scene? Because he's essentially there to put it back on track, give her a second saber, because again, they're going to need that in the next scene. <laughs> So he gives her Leia's lightsaber and then gives her the courage to move on. I don't mind Luke being here, but I must admit, like, I do feel like this scene isn't really necessary. And I don't like, again, the blue ghost thing just always looks a little bit cheesy to me. And here he's doing a lot of interacting. Like he's just walking around (laughs) doing stuff. Like he raises up his X-Wing fighter Mm -hmm. from how long ago? That's still working somehow, (laughs) even though it's been under the ocean for decades. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a weird scene. They didn't really need it, but whatever. I'm just going with it, you know? It wasn't annoying. The second time I saw it, there were people I heard who, like, laughed. Yeah. Just because I think they found it yeah, a Yeah, it is a little you goofy, know, I feel- but... I don't know, I don't know. Isn't a lot of it goofy? Because <laughs> <laughs> it feels that this is, yeah, despite Luke finding peace and finding peace with being a Jedi and the Force at the end of... The Last Jedi and having that nice resolution to sort of his disillusionment and forgiving himself and Ben for turning and all that stuff and finding hope in Rey. Like this feels like it's for those fans that were like, that wasn't the real Jedi. That's not really Luke. It's like, okay, well, we'll give you this idealized Jedi perfect version of Luke that you want. And yeah, and it's like, what does, yeah, is it? I don't know. And we get a flashback here as well, which is that only de-aging that they do or whatever it is they do. Yes. You got yeah, a young Mark Hamill and the young Carrie Fisher in training. 
Which I'm glad it's just this one shot. If it was more than this, it would upset mm-hmm. me, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. and I thought but. they were slightly too young. They looked almost like a New Hope age when they should have been Return of the Jedi and a bit older. Yeah, that's true. At that point, I was sort of had laughed to myself because I all I could think of was J.J. Abrams being like, there's no CGI Carrie Fisher. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, that still counts. <laughs> And Luca felt a little better than Carrie Fisher. Like Carrie Fisher, yeah. I could still tell it's a little bit weird, like the Rogue One one. Uh, mm-hmm. Luke actually looked very good. We do get a key line here, though, that I didn't really pick up the first time and the second time where Luke says that Leia said, at that point, she gave up training because she sensed her death would come with her sons, but someone else would then pick up and mm. like continue on. And that's why he gives Rey the saber. Which, at that point, I guess they're trying to make you think that she thought her death would come with her sons at that point because they did die together, but then her son was obviously resurrected or saved at the last second. But then, spoilers, skip to the end, her son is going to die. So I don't know. It was a little bit of a weird one, those throwaway lines again, where you're like, is that really needed either? Just give it a lightsaber. And, yeah. and is that why yeah. she disappears when he disappears? Mm-hmm. I think so. That's, like I think what they're going to try they're and like say. One, yes. They're like, they are like one. Yeah. Their energy's one. Yeah, but they haven't been I don't know. prior. I mean, they've barely acknowledged each other prior. Yeah, I don't know. <sighs> Who knows? <laughs> so she takes off and we go back to the resistance base and R2 and C3PO are together again. And hey, what do you know? R2 just put plugs in the backup. Downloaded. And three... Yeah, 3PO Updated. is back. Because there was a split second where it was painful and they didn't recognize... Like, C3PO didn't recognize R2 and I was like, oh, that hurts. Yeah. And I was like, no, that's fine. Fixed yep. it. Yeah, it's again like there can be no true pain or true loss in this, <laughs> in like those moments. So Ray heads off to Exegol in Luke's X-Wing fighter and she's transmitting the signals to the Rebellion. And again, here's another bit that's that I thought was like showing Finn's connection to Ray in that they're like kind of scrambling and be like, what is it? Like, is it a thing? And he's like, it's Ray. And I think he says again, like, I can feel it. She's telling us where to go. Like, and so that's why I kept thinking like, there's some kind of force thing going on with him that surely we're going to get a reveal. At the I don't end. think you're wrong. I just think they could have done it better. And I mean, there's no payoff to it, like you said. So, so now that their plan is that they're going to send the fleet of what the remainder of the resistance fleet to Exegol and they're going to take out the navigation tower because in these outer worlds, the ships can't take off and don't know which way is up <laughs> until they get out of oh, the outer worlds. Oh, skip world. through this one. It's basically, uh, I think you're just playing too much of the outer worlds, uh, Alex. They're basically <laughs> just, like, at the end of all these films, they need, we're going to shoot yeah. this one thing and then the world's yeah, going to be one. Yeah. So they have to make up something new each time. And in this one, yes, they change it a little bit. Let's, we don't need to get into it. Well, let's not, because like they move it around a couple of times. Yeah. When they're there, then the final order is going to recognize what they're doing and move it to a different spot. But it's essentially the same old, same old of like, let's blow up one thing and everything will be fine. Um, which doesn't I go always their just way. glaze over those spots. It really doesn't matter. It, and they do too. They breeze through it so quickly. Yeah. And then Poe's just like, yeah, I don't know which way is up, up or down. It's weird, isn't it? All right, let's go. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so fun. they head off. Lando and Chewie are going to meet them there. All right, we'll meet you later. We're just going to go call for help around the rest of the galaxy. Gonk 5. Gonk <laughs> 5. Wow. I think our final gonk, actually. Right. If my notes, yeah, final gonk. So it's an impressive amount of gonks. Ray arrives in Exegol. She starts flying through. It's enough for a gonk band. 
and she lands down into the Emperor's temple thing and the resistance fleet arrive and they all start blasting the ships but they're greatly outnumbered Poe's like just get down to their level and they won't be able to get us and then all the TIE fighters come out and so a big space battle happens so they realize that the navigation tower basically the final order realized that they're trying to blow up the navigation tower so they're like let's just switch the console to up here in the star destroyer and then the first resistance like oh crap they're not using that tower anymore and so finn's like drop us off on the star destroyer and they get dropped off and they ride into battle on horseback on a star destroyer it's tradition now in star wars one scene each film riding cgi things Mm -hmm. it's gonna happen so now Ray, yeah, she's in there and she confronts the Emperor and she's in this big hall. We see the Emperor's throne while there's this like thousands of hooded, are they real? Are they not? Are they Sith? Here's the thing, because Tom said he thought they were a projection, but they are absolutely not because the second time I watched it, when this room crumbles in a short while, they get hit. Gonna, they're going to show die, shots of them yeah. being crushed mm-hmm. under yeah. the things as they're yeah, falling. Yeah, die. So what are these thousands of things? Are they just like followers? Are they just loyal to the thing? Well, do something with them. Why are they just hanging out in this room? There's thousands of them. And they're all chanting. It's the army, the really army cool. of Siths. Yeah, but like, what are, they should be out doing mischief. What are they doing hanging out in this they room? They have the other Siths. Well, this is Again, a huge ceremony. They're not selling it to me. Like Even the prequel sold me being on the Sith. Like This is like, no, this looks terrible lifestyle choice. I would not do this. Right, I see what you mean. Yeah, I didn't know what they were. <laughs> it was weird. It's very weird. It was weird. And then he's trying to tempt her. And yes. again, it's just like, I mean, he's controlled by this big robot arm. He's obviously a terrible human being. He just looks horrible. We get the full reveal of him this time where I think he's disembodied. He's got no legs. He's just like pinned to this arm, hanging off this arm. And he essentially tells Ray that he has to she has to strike him down and kill him the power of all the sith that live in him will be transferred to her and she will be the empress palpatine ready to rule over the galaxy which is great again because it means you can't finish this battle through violence you're not going to feel like he's literally saying to her like yeah you want to kill me well that's great because that's what i want as well which is cool and we'll get into how that's yeah sorted but um yeah and i was reading something that like this then ends the cycle is that there's always been a cycle that if a jedi kills a sith like that sith power is just merely passed down and that anger is even carried in that jedi because they had to kill someone it's this cool little flip here of just like yeah you can't you have to use kindness to overcome this. Yeah, so he opens up the <laughs> you wrote here, the sunroof. This is very reminiscent of Return of the Jedi, where the Emperor is confronting Luke and showing him the battle that the rebels are losing, and is essentially saying like, "There's nothing you can do to save them unless you turn to the dark side." But Ben shows up in a nice little black T-shirt, taking off the Kylo <laughs> shopping. Change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Went to All Saints for for extra baggy as well. He's clearly feeling insecure. He runs down, he jumps through the hole and he lands. He's like, oh, he goes down. And then the Knights of Ren appear ready to beat him up and they give him a good old hiding. He doesn't have his dark Sith powers anymore. And he's getting the crap beaten out of him. But then Rey 
gives him a Skype call. And as you said, Al, they use their Freddy Krueger power and she hands him. Oh, no. So first she's holding it up. We have a moment. She's holding yep. it up and she's the Empress tempting her to strike him. And she's holding it and Ben's there. And then she puts it up and behind her back. And then we see from Ben from behind his back, he pulls the lightsaber and he does this thing that made Bethany and I both laugh where he goes, and he just kind of like does this shrug. <laughs> so in my text to Katie, my three favorite moments that I said to look out for, little thing wailing away at an inappropriate moment, something goes, no, 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 thank you. And Adam Driver does a shrug. Yeah. <laughs> They're my three favorite things in this film. Anyone else that would look so stupid, but yet again, somehow this fucking man <laughs> managed to pull off a really daft moment and make it look really genuinely cool. <laughs> yeah. And he, yeah, just kicks the shit out of the Knights of Ren. I don't know if this battle's as good as the one him and Ray do when they're up against Snoke. Uh, which is a really cool battle as well. Yeah. But it's it looks really cool. And when he has a lightsaber on his back and the Knights of Ren sort of like grind up against it and you do, he just gets that moment to go, breathe yeah. and then turn around to go back into battle. It's fucking great. Like it's just, yeah. it's what you need at this point. It's really satisfying. And yeah, I've been waiting for him to kick ass on the, on the good guy's side. So mm-hmm. it's really fun to see. Yeah. And he runs into the main throne room, all the Sith audience are chanting and screaming and they fight the other like Sith guards around them again yeah who are just like don't really put up a fight like the Snoke's guards do so it's all over pretty quickly but then the Emperor flicks their lightsabers away and pulls them towards him and then he starts drawing their life force because what was the word you used before Al the diat the diat diat because they're a diat he gains even more power and he heals himself yeah, and is able to return as the true emperor. We finally get prosthetic face emperor looking very similar to Revenge of the Sith with the uh, red glowy eyes. Mm-hmm. And I'm out again mm-hmm. for the emperor. Out, yeah. I'm like back to not liking the emperor he anymore. He is back. <laughs> and yeah, they're all in space battling. The, uh, the, because he draws their life force, they both pass out. Wait, does he... Oh, yeah, they both pass out and then the Emperor looks up into the sky at the battle and does the biggest force lightning blast ever. The fucking sound design on this is so cool. Because cool. presumably now he has the full force of all the Sith as well as the Diat of Rey and Ben, I guess. Is that right? Is that why he's able to do this crazy... He hasn't got all of their power, but he's got, yeah, he's taking some of theirs and yeah, he's taking, he's got the Sith. I don't know. He's superpower, man. Because it's just like, why didn't he ever do this before? Like if- Well, he's only got one move and this is a problem I'm going to have. If there was a time to yell out unlimited power, it would be now. (laughs) I mean, he could only do it now because he has them, right? Because he's taking their power. Yeah, I think you're right. He's taking some of that It looks cool too. It looks cool. The sound design's cool, but I do have a problem with him. Like for the rest of it, it's just same old sort of like little fingers doing my electric. And it's like everyone else they've added new powers to. Like, could you really not come up with anything for him? Because you can't make him fight. I'm appreciate they don't do a prequel CGI Yoda jumping around, Emperor fighting. But can we not get something more interesting than just lightning the whole time? Um, I like it when he does it to the to yell yeah, the ships, but when it's to them, I'm just like, oh, it's just dull. Um, so did i get it the wrong way around before he does that do we get all of lando and all of the galaxy ships turning up 
I think I can't so, remember right? if that's just before or just yeah, after. Yeah, yeah, because it is before because it's all the ships are there. Yeah, because they're like mm-hmm. they're like winning the battle and then he turns it. Did you guys notice the synchronicity of this with other Disney properties? Uh, what is in like Ghost from Rebels? Yeah, it's, it, no, it's literally the end of Endgame. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's literally the end of Endgame. It's like they're all dying. Everything's terrible. The baddie turns up with all of his fleet and is fucking everyone. Yeah. And then it looks like they're done. Poe's literally signing off and going, I'm really sorry. I thought we had a chance, which, by the way, is not what you tell people when they're dying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then a voice comes through the radio saying, but you're not alone. Like, there's more of us, which is literally the cap on your left yeah and then they turn around and suddenly all these ships is like jumping in it's shot the same way almost like mm-hmm. it's crazy it is the end of end game yeah. only not as good as and also we game. get the lines of like which we'll get to in a sec of i am all the sith i'm all the jedi i am iron man i am exactly yeah. no it really is disney uh they know what's working and they're borrowing from themselves yeah that's why that one guy on twitter was like there weren't enough applause breaks because it's look this is a good moment when all the ships come it's no fucking end game moment but yeah so there is an easter egg in there and people notice this in the trailer where the ship from rebels the ghost appears next to the millennium falcon and we'll have some more moments coming up so yeah this is all happening he does the giant force lightning wait is that right is that (laughs) the order did you break has he already thrown ben no then he benches ben after that he pushes ben down into the hole yeah they both are dead basically kind of yeah. and then ben kind of comes back and then he like, they have, shoots they have ben a light down while he thing. does this yeah exactly. they have a lay down <laughs> yeah he life forces them and then he zaps ben and ben goes flying off a cliff and ray's passed out no one's worried about ben right like we don't get a proper death there it's ridiculous yeah no you to know he's gonna come back exactly like this. yeah um and he does the giant big force lightning and then ray starts hearing the voices First, she hears. Well, Luke's actually, voice. this is one of my favorite bits. Just before she hears the voices, one of my favorite bits is because she's lying there on the floor and she's looking up and she's seeing everybody dying. She goes like she then sees beyond the battle and then into space and then sees just all the stars and it's this very peaceful meditative moment and it's really lovely and it's the kind of breather this film needs more of and I'm glad they do it here. And but yeah, what's cool is that you still see the lightning in her eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's absolutely right. Yeah, and then she starts hearing the voices of all those people and more that we read off before at the beginning of this. All those cast members, all the different Jedi. Yeah, I've got a, yeah, I've got a list here. Uh, fucking so many people. Don't do the list, Alex. Don't do the list. Because I mean, this character is not just cast. not just from the the prequels, but from some of the side series like Rebels yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff. Like Rebels and, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, because you have. One of the fan favorite characters, Ahsoka, who is Anakin's apprentice. She says, in the light, yeah, yeah, find the light. You hear Anakin say, bring back the balance ray as I did. And when I heard that, I was like, dude, you fucking put it all out of balance to begin with. <laughs> Do you not hear him saying, isn't it Sandy? <laughs> yeah. Qui-Gon says, every Jedi who ever lived lives in you. Anakin says, the force surrounds you. Definitely hear Mace Windu. He says, feel the force flowing through you, Ray. Um, it's a ridicule cool moment. Yeah, there's so many. And then so many of the characters from the animated series, some of the Jedi from that as well. Yeah, and it emphasizes, yeah, that, that they're all with her. He's called the Sith. She's called the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And then she goes double lightsaber on him. 
she stands up and lights the lightsaber and he directs the lightning at her and she's holding it off and yeah she double lightsabers it and reflects it back at him and he just melts him into like burns him it was very sort of uh indiana jones melting away Dang. I love this is and this was key to me because we came out of this and tom said like because i was saying about the actual kindness and he was like yeah but then she still kills him i was like yeah but she does it by reflecting his energy they're very particular yeah. of she's not attacking mm. him she's just reflecting his hatred back at himself mm. which is again another important message i see i see yeah after she does that and palpatine is dead the whole sith temple starts to collapse as you were saying out we do see bits collapsing on these hooded figures and destroying them and yeah she falls down and we presume is dead all the resistance get the upper hand in the battle and all the ships start falling from the sky and then ben his hand comes up and he climbs back up and i just like again like adam driver's physicality he looks so big here when he like picks her up and just kind of just like ragdolls he like holds her yeah and he's kind of standing there and i like the way as well sort of there's this tentativeness with him of of like trying to heal her that reads is like not knowing whether he has that power or he can do it this is how i sort of read it which i really liked it didn't feel like he just came and it was like an obvious thing for him to do. It was sort no. of just like... Mm-hmm. No, yeah. It was like, even though the audience knows she's come, come back to life, I mm-hmm. believe that he didn't know she was going to come back yeah. to life, which yeah. is, again, testament to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have real problems with this, but we can... We can yeah, so she's dead and he resurrects her. He essentially has the power that Anakin seeked from the Emperor right back in the prequels, where he talks about bringing people back from the dead and... And oh, actually, that was a line the Empress says at the beginning of this film, the dark side can lead you down a path that some consider unnatural, which was a line in the prequel, which he says at the beginning of this. This is unnatural. She's now a zombie. And so it's funny. So (laughs) then they bring her back to life and he he has that power. Yeah, he comes back to life and they have this moment and they kiss and then- Kissy, kissy. He just- Well, she kisses him. She kisses him. I think very much an important thing. And he smiles and then falls in an instant and everyone in the theater laughed. And I think it was really telling and Bethany and I were speaking about this afterwards was that again, like, okay, this movie was so fast and they didn't let any moments breathe, but surely this was the moment for him to just kind of kiss and then just be like, plonk. It's just like the way he fell back. It was comical because you didn't sort of, there was a moment there that could have been earned, that was earned, I think, for them to have with the same outcome. And then the problem is, is like, yeah, to Star Wars fans, he fades away to let us know that in his last moments, he achieved Jedi status, basically, Mm -hmm. that he became worthy in his last moments. And that's why he gets to fade at the end. But to everybody else... Who I like, who I've talked to, they're just like it. Just seems like they had to make him fade away to let you know he was actually dead, because otherwise she just came back to life. So why can't they just keep bringing each other back to life over and over? Again? Yeah, yeah. Because in my notes, when I wrote it down, this is the problem. I wrote down, oh, Ben dead. Now she kills Emperor dead. Then she dead. Then oh no, Ben not dead. Oh no, she's not dead. Kissy kissy. Oh Ben dead. Like that's mm-hmm. what the, my original notes were. <laughs> and it is silly. Like it's really silly. But my bigger problem with this, and I know you guys probably won't agree with me. I know most of the audience and the general public wouldn't agree with me. But is that she had such a great arc. And she's the only person who had an arc in these three movies. And she's done so well in this film and promoted such great ethics, I think, in this film. 
that sacrifice is needed by all these characters. C-3PO should have kept his memory lost. Whether mm-hmm. Chewie needed to die or not, that's, you know, separate. But we need some things that follow through. And this is one of those things. Like, the idea of it ending... And again, at this point, I had this awareness of like, oh, fuck, he's half a Skywalker. So the title Rise of Skywalker is about Ben learning from her and everyone around him to be kinder. And it's actually about this journey of someone who went over into being evil to learn how to be kind and to be good. And the idea of him then going back to the rebellion with her body. And, you know, obviously they're not going to fully trust him yet. And him having to then know he's got to start on this path of earning back people's trust and like trying to be kind. That was the natural message that I felt this was needed. It's like, yeah, sacrifice has to happen, you know, and people always get upset about these things like you can't have your lead character die and blah, blah, blah. The biggest selling book of all time called The Bible has your lead character die for a good message, you know, like you can do it and people will fall behind it. And this, I think, was the time to do it. I thought that might happen. I thought that was one of the options that might happen, that he might have to bring her body back and then he might have to like kind of take over and earn the trust back. You're exactly right. That would have been another good option. It would have been great. And instead, they tried to go with no, the title is about her because of the scene we're about to get, which I also have problems with. But yeah, it just frustrates me. I thought, yeah, with, I went with you guys and I thought that, yeah, she would die and that it would be Ben that would kind of find redemption and then yeah carry her message through there was a part of me as i was thinking that was like oh then it becomes about it's it's such a it's a skywalker thing again but then i was like it's wrapping and you know i think we we all talked about this when we did rogue one and solo and i think a thing that we all liked about those was that there were consequences with the risk that the characters took the stakes were really high and that we would lose some and we would see it and we'd have to deal with that loss and the characters would have to deal with that loss. And the issue with this trilogy is that it's always teased those moments and moments that then impact you, but then it's always pulled back the other way. Like in The Last Jedi, we think Finn's going to make that sacrifice at the end and go straight into that laser beam that's trying to open the uh, vault door. But then Rose comes and rescues him. And like here, we think we lose Chewie and that would have been devastating. But it's just like they, I don't know if it's, if it's because these films are part of the main franchise and it's, they don't want to have that with their characters, but it, it always feels like they tease it and then just don't have the sort of guts to follow through with something as big as that. I think each of those moments would have just had such a big impact in a positive storytelling way. And I've said many times, I have many problems with George Lucas. I feel he would have the courage to. I think this is a Disney thing. You know, they're like, no, we can't upset the children who see Rey as a role model. We can't upset ourselves of our toys, like all of this stuff, you know. But for the good of the story, they walk back on everything. Yeah. Everything. And that is a frustration. And we're going to get it hammered home in a minute. But before then, we're going to get Ewoks. Yeah, so then now the First Order is celebrating. Ah, sorry, he's fallen and the Resistance and Republic is celebrating and much sort of like the ending of the original trilogy or as although it was later put in and the prequel trilogy, we have a sort of little snapshot around the galaxy to some of the celebrations. We do get Ewoks, we get Warwick Davis returning as Wicket in a little season. It was both a cheer and a groan when Ewoks were <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, we get the Star Destroyer falling on Jakku and on top of like near the old Star Destroyer where we started this story with Rey. 
I love that image that, yeah, JG was going back to that. Pretty much the first image we saw from press materials for yeah. The Force Awakens. So that was really cool. And then we get everyone back to the Rebel base and everyone's partying. Maz gives Chewie Leia's medal from A New Hope because, as we all know, he famously missed out on a medal. I honestly missed that. I had to have that explained to me on my second viewing with Tom. What? You didn't I, know? I, I, Even no, I knew. It like... I didn't, I'd never seen the medal up close, really. It just looked like a belt buckle to me. I was so confused what was going on. I didn't really know what it was, but I just figured it was something of Leia's, right? That's Yeah, yeah. and because like it's famous that, that in that scene, end scene of A New Hope, Leia gives Luke a medal, she gives Han a medal, and then they turn around and Chewie goes, then everyone cheers, but he never gets a medal. So... Yeah, yeah. Tom said that was a really emotional moment for him in the film where it wasn't for me because I didn't understand what it was. Yeah, I thought it was so cool. And it's really funny because then as they're panning out from that scene, you can see Chewie either showing 3PO or R2, like that he has the medal and he's like holding it up and he's really happy. And I was like, oh, that's so fucking cool. We also get one of the Resistance captains who was in Last Jedi for a brief second kissing another woman. I cheered in the audience and no one, no one cheered. You were part of that American Pornhub survey who loved lesbians. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar Isaac has been talking a lot lately in the press about should Finn and Poe had a relationship. And he was like, it would have been great. Like, they sh- we should have had a gay character in Star Wars. Like, And that was like that little, <laughs> one little moment. Yeah. It's the only people other than Ray and Ben. They're the only two people you see kiss in this movie. And I think that's great. Lando uh, is speaking to Janna, who many assumed leading into this film that she was Lando's daughter. But he's like, where did you come from? And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, well, uh, we can find out or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Which means, as Tom said, as I exited, Disney Plus. That's what that means. Oh, yeah. That means 100% Lando and this girl are going to get their own little show. That's a really good point. Because she's not getting a movie. There's no way. And then we're back on Tatooine where it all began. And Ray goes to Luke's home or the Lars homestead where Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen were savagely burned by the Empire. And it's really cool. She looks down into the home and the sand is basically where all the, the house was, is like kind of crept up. So things are buried. And, and again, in the throwback to Force Awakens, she grabs a little bit of scrap and slides down into the sand and then she's back outside i love that they built this set by the way this it's so nicely rebuilt this set it feels so good to end it in this geography and then she goes outside and she puts luke and leia's lightsabers together and wraps them up and buries them in the sand and then an old lady walks past and she's like we haven't seen anyone out here for a long time. What's your name? And she's like, Ray. And then she turns and she sees the ghosts of Luke and Leia. Again, CGI, Carrie Fisher. So, lies, JJ. <laughs> and she's dressed very much in the sort of Princess Leia outfit from A New Hope. And Luke's in his Jedi garb. And Ray turns to the lady and she says, Ray Skywalker. And then we end with her and BB-8 on the classic twin sons of Tatooine. And I fucking loved that last shot. Yeah, so look, I love the geography of this. I like this. There is a little bit of breathing room here, which is nice. I like the sliding down thing, like you say, from The Force Awakens. I love the last shot. It's great as well. I have a real problem with her taking that name at the end. And not because I'm a super fan. It's like, she can't be a Skywalker or any of that bullshit. 
just because I think, again, there's been a lot of positive messages here. And then positive messages normally means complicated things. And I think one of two things needed to happen here. You either need to have the claim of like, it doesn't matter what my second yeah. name is. You know, I don't need to belong to my, my uh, family name isn't important. It doesn't define who I am. Like that's important. Or you just have to have like, even if they can't go fully with that, then have it be just subtle, you know, have a like, have that moment where she gets asked, have a turn and see Luke and Leia and then sort of turn back and just like a small smile and then cut to that shot of like with the sun. So don't have her answer even or something, Mm -hmm. but she shouldn't Mm -hmm. change her second name to Skywalker. It doesn't matter. It's like you're a part of your family. And that's what this film has been preaching is like your friends and the people who your comrades are your Your chosen family. family. Exactly. And I think that's a very modern, very important positive message to give. And I think this fucks it. Which then means, yeah, again, the the title fucks it a little bit. Rise of Skywalker. I see. Because it means it is talking about her. And I liked it talking about her. But why can't it be talking about both? about I mean, I'm sure they can say it is, but yeah. They don't want it to be the focus. It's about the baddies. They want it to be about the yeah, the goodies and the female goodies, especially. It just left a little bit. Again, I like this last moment, but it did leave a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. So I just got a message from my friend Nick, who I've talked about many times on this podcast. He's just seen it. He's not real. I don't believe you. He's sending me a lot of different stuff, but I just noticed one message and he just said, I don't really like how people just die when they're exhausted. <laughs> yeah, I think that's valid. Well, we did it, guys. Yay! Yes. Yay. Of Skywalker. All right. So, thank you, Alex, for guiding yes, us through you, Alex. that crazy journey. Um, do you see why I had to go back another time and write notes? Because I was like, there's no fucking way watching this once we're going to yeah. remember the scene by scenes. It's insane. Appreciate it very much. A lot. Oh, no, man. No, I was happy to. And I think we've all done a good job of like showing the things we like and didn't like and haven't given an overall consensus. So we're going to do a normal. We're going to give a little final thoughts each on how we felt about a film. And then I'm going to quickly read out our previous lists of how where we place the movies. And we're just going to start with Christina and allow her to like place this film into that list. And if we want to do any reshuffling at that point, then we will do some reshuffling. It's up to each of our own discretion so yeah let's go around circle christina let's just start with you how did you feel about rise of skywalker so as i said you know kind of in the beginning i was i was like the first couple scenes i was like oh i don't know like i don't know if i was ready for another star wars movie i feel like it has been a long time but i was like maybe it hasn't been long enough but then i got into it and i connected to it and a lot of fun stuff started happening and I actually really, really liked it. And from like after the first few scenes and I loved it and I really got into it and I, I loved all of the puppets that they use, all of the little characters really made me happy. They did it so well and they introduced some really great new ones like the babies and Babu Frick was Frick, Fick, Frick was my favorite. And there's some moments that really stuck out to me, you know, just like, like when Chewie passed away, but he didn't. But just those like, mm, I don't know, just there are some really great moments in this one that I, I really liked. So I liked it. And I liked the relationship with Ren and Ray and Ben. And it's something that I kept wanting to watch, you know, I wanted to see them interact again and again and again. And, and I feel like the messages in this film were really clear and good and made me really care about what was going to happen. Oh, I really liked it. I don't know what else to say. Oh, yeah. And then oh, remember when we were talking about how you were saying how, you know, it's kind of like 
ice and things like that when they were raiding the homes and how it's, you know, kind of... I think you'll find I said ISIS, but sure. Yeah, I know, but I didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) So there was that, but then later on when it was the end battle and all the ships were in the sky and they were like, well, who are all these people? Like, who are all of these people? Like, it's not an army. And then somebody, I don't forget who, but they're like, they're just people. So like, you don't have to be part of this army to fight. It's just people could make a difference and save each other and save the world. Just people. Which again is, I think, a problem with why she wants to be a Skywalker at the end. It shouldn't be about that. It's about just being people and helping. Yeah, like you don't have to be anybody special to do something good. And it's like, well, what can I do? Like the world's so horrible right now. What can I do? I can't do anything. I'm just one person. But you can because you are a person. And look at all of these people that got together and did something really great and helped when each, uh, helped each other out, you know, and saved whatever the world. I like this one. I do wish that Rose was in it more. I wish that Lieutenant Connix, Billy Lord, was in it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I really like her. So there is some things that I was a little disappointed in, but I don't know. I laughed and, you know, my heart sank a few times and it was pretty good. So, Christina, your previous ranking, by the way, number 11 was The Clone Wars. I have my ranking. Number 10 was Revenge. You got Mm -hmm. it? You know where you're going to put it? Okay. Do you want to read out your ranking then? It's also hard to rank these because when we first started watching all of them, I watched them kind of like back to back, right? Like every few days. So it was really a lot easier to rank it with a year in between. It's kind of hard, but I think this is number, okay. Number one is the Empire Strikes Back. Number two is A New Hope. And I think this beats, and my number three was Solo, but I think I like this better than Solo just because of the message that it had and and the relationships and the teamwork and finally him coming to the good side. It was really nice. It's something so I was yeah, pleasantly surprised. So, so just for people who are tuning in then for the first time, you haven't heard it before. Your number one's Empire, your number two's New Hope, your number three then would be Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Number and four number four is Solo. Solo. Number five, Return of the Jedi. Six, The Last Jedi. Seven, The Force Awakens. Eight, Rogue One. Nine, Attack of the Clones. Ten, The Phantom Menace. Eleven, Revenge of the Sith. And your twelfth is what many people wouldn't consider because it is animated, but The Clone Wars, the film, not the TV show, obviously. That is your list. Yeah. Okay. Seems fair. If people have been listening, I know some people just listen to the beginning of a podcast and it skipped to the end. (laughs) So maybe they haven't heard all of our wonderful points throughout. I went into this film with very little, like, big expectations because it's a JJ film, again, and I know what I'm going to get from a JJ film. Um, What this film feels like to me is exactly the story that Alex told of how this film was written and built up beforehand. It feels like JJ coming back in. He's got a story from a couple of people who hadn't written for Star Wars before. He's got a story then from The Last Jedi, which he's got to follow on. And then he's got his own ideas of what he always wanted to do if he had his own trilogy. And this to me, and it's very strange because I know like Tom said he got a little bit bored in this film, but he did enjoy it overall, but he he did get a bit bored. And I was like, yeah, well, sometimes breathless films are more boring because there's such an assault of things happening, you know? Like for me, like I'm more engaged normally when it slows a little bit here and there and you get moments of character and breathing. What's weird to me with this film is it feels like JJ just took two films that he wanted to make and squished them into one film that's two hours and 20 minutes long. Why they wouldn't make this film Avengers length and over three hours? I don't know. 
I understand why they can't give JJ two films, but I really felt like what was needed here to tell this in the way that is best is yes, let's, you know, again, it's like you're saying, Alex, we've just got started. Like, I'm just starting to feel properly invested with these characters, and now it's all over. It feels very strange. And I think that's a big, big problem that this film has is that he's just condensed everything. There's no scene that doesn't lead directly into the next bit of exposition. Everything is just about pushing on to the next set piece and the next thing that's that's needed for the movie. And that is normally a huge, huge, huge problem for me. The end message fucks itself a little bit for me. There's not enough follow through on deaths when you're at the end of something like this at all, which are big frustrations to me. That said... I enjoy all of the moments in this movie, really up until the very, very final act. Like once they get to Exegon, I'm just the drab colors. Like it all looks good. The CGI is done very well in this, but but it's just drab. It doesn't interest me as much. The Emperor just becomes old Sparky again, and I'm just bored by that. But there are still cool things here. There are cool things that happen throughout that last... That it's not like it all falls apart, but like a lot of action films for me, like nearly all comic book movies for me, I get bored in that final bit where it's just people fighting. But there are some nice bits here in the end. But for the majority, for those first three quarters of this movie, against all the odds of it doing all the things I don't like in blockbuster movies, it does them all with sincere, with like sincerity and with heart and with passion. And beyond anything else, the thing that I'm always saying for my personal taste is I need to feel and like the characters. I have to sympathize and empathize with the characters and understand them. And that doesn't mean they all have to be nice. You know, you can have villains, but I need to understand them. And I understand, again, other than the Emperor and his weird dark room full of thousands of people who are just sitting <laughs> around in the dust, I understand everybody else here. And I like everybody else here. And I mm-hmm. haven't before. I've had problems with Ray before. I've definitely had problems with Poe before. I've had problems with Hux before. I'm fine with everybody here. Two, I love everybody here. That's my grade curve here. And then they're introducing all these new characters and they're introducing new aliens. Like the physicality of stuff is fantastic. There's some incredible practical effects going on here. There's a lot of Muppet era charm going on here, which really Mm -hmm. feels like, you know, where Star Wars came from. And I love that. The action is offering me some visuals that I haven't seen before, which I really, really appreciate. I do think Daisy off gives her best role that she's done. I think it's an impressive turn from her here. Adam Driver is always blows everybody out of the water i just want to eat up his role like whenever he's on the screen i'm just excited i'm just like yes i can relax in this scene because i know he's going to offer something special and cool in this scene and i would just go back and rewatch all those scenes it's, you know i just want to edit them all together just all of his scenes from these movies because he's so good he's so fucking good it's like eating delicious food which just like i really enjoyed that sensation i enjoyed the sensation of watching adam driver act there's something always great there i had a great fucking time with this movie i really did and it's so strange coming out of it and then trying to place it. And that's where I get into real struggles. So yeah, I saw Rogue One the day I went into this. I rewatched The Force Awakens. I rewatched Solo. And I rewatched, well, I rewatched most of Return of the Jedi. I didn't go back to The Last Jedi because I've watched that enough. And I'm pretty sure. And again, I've been re-editing it. I know how I feel about that. And this is the thing I really came to. It's like, there's a lot of great movies here. You know, none of them are perfect for me. But there's a lot of great movies. Like The Last Jedi, I have real problems with some of it that I hate. But there's some really great stuff in that movie, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's the worst, in my opinion. That's the worst of the new bunch. And that's the level it's at. There's still great stuff in there. And then I look at The Force Awakens, and I really enjoy The Force Awakens a lot. And I've you know, stood up for it for a long time. It's not doing anything new. So it's a little bit boring with that. But I really enjoy The Force Awakens. And The Force Awakens 
has a better pacing for me. Like The Force Awakens feels like a movie. You know, it, it has the pacing of a normal movie. And I appreciate that a whole bunch about it. You mean it has the pacing of a new hope? Yeah, no, exactly. But I think, but it's not doing anything new and anything that really excites me. To be clear, The Rise of Skywalker is Return of the Jedi, but it doesn't have that pacing. It's fucking all over the place. It's like, it's on crazy ADD adrenaline. Yeah, and then Rogue One is always frustrating to me because every single time I go back to Rogue One, I see that opening scene and I always feel the same way from the opening scene. I'm like, this is my favorite Star Wars movie ever made. And then I get to the end of the film and I'm like, why isn't this my favorite Star Wars movie ever made? And it's this weird mixture of, yeah, I hate the CGI resurrection of a dead actor that upsets the hell out of me. I hate that the music's flirting with the real themes, but it's not doing it. It just makes it distracting to me. It's like, do it or don't. I hate some of the other characters that they bring back. I hate this, the, a lot of the reshoot stuff. I hate the Darth Vader stuff. Like, it looks cool, but it doesn't fit with the movie. And beyond anything else... There's just stuff I know cut out of that film that would have helped me connect truly with these characters. And I always get to the end and I don't care as much as I should do. But the mood and the tone and the way it's shot, that's what I want. That's the Star Wars films I want are films like Rogue One. It just doesn't quite do it how I want it, but it, it sticks out as this beautiful thing. And I want for my pride as a film lover to be able to say Rogue One's my favorite, at least of all the new ones. But I just can't because I don't think it quite succeeds at what it's trying to do as well as some of the other ones. And yeah, then I went back to Solo. And that was the one I went back to last. I went back to that last night. And I fucking, I still really enjoy that movie. Like, I don't know why I get really excited when I put on Solo. Yeah, there's a few goofy bits in it. And again, as a Star Wars film, it annoys me because I don't need any of this explained. But just as a movie, I love the ride. It's smaller scale and I love that. It's more personable and I love that. It's oozing with charm and I think that's great. There's so many physical and practical locations and I love that. And again, I understand and like all the characters. And when we get to the end and we've got three sets of baddies and we realize none of them are really bad. One in particular isn't bad at all. They're the start of the rebellion. I love that so much that there's no stupid emperor cackling and doing electricity. It's just a bunch of people. My, the reason why I've gone on that long about all of them is that I was really thinking I'm going to have a distinct way of how to reorder my films. And I don't have that strong of feelings because they're all doing something slightly different well, if you know what I mean. Like, I genuinely think we've got a collection of really great films. None of them are quite perfect. And it just depends what are you in the mood for. That said... My previous list was Attack of the Clones at number 11, Revenge of the Sith at 10, The Clone Wars at 9, The Phantom Menace at 8, The Last Jedi at 7, Rogue One at 6, which killed me, 5 for Return of the Jedi, 4 for The Force Awakens, 3 for Solo, 2 for A New Hope, and number 1 was The Empire Strikes Back. My new list, and this will change again, <laughs> because like I say, it just depends what you're in the mood for. 12 is Attack of the Clones still. Revenge of the Sith is still number 11. I say still because obviously we've added one. 10 is The Clone Wars. Number 9 is The Phantom Menace. Number 8 is The Last Jedi. Those don't change for me. That's still there. The change for me now is I'm going to put at number 7, The Force Awakens. And that's not to ding that movie. I think it's a really enjoyable movie. But going back to it, it didn't look quite as good. I don't think JJ is directing as well as he is here. And it's just, yeah, I've seen it all before. Number six, I'm putting now Return of the Jedi because I went back and I still really love that movie, but it's not. It's a lot of my love for that is nostalgia. I don't actually think it's as great a movie as people think it is, but I do think it's a very enjoyable movie. Number five now going up is Rogue One. Again, I want it to be my favorite. <laughs> I'm looking at my old list before I throw in potentially any reshuffles. It's exactly the same. Oh, your old list is this? Pretty much. Yeah, number five for me is Rogue One again. I want to put this higher. I really do, but I just can't. But this is what I want. This is the standard. The way it's shot is what I want more of. 
And then number four for me is The Rise of Skywalker. I really just had a great time with this movie. And again, I've seen it. It needs more time to settle. It might go down at some point. But after watching it twice, I can say I really enjoyed it. And I watched it twice within 12 hours. You know, <laughs> like, and it's a three-hour movie, basically. And yeah, number three is still just solo for me. I have problems with that movie, but I get excited when I think about going back to watch that movie. I get excited about it. I get to the end of that movie, and I really, really like the end of that movie. And I can't say that with nearly every other film here. Number two is still A New Hope, and number one is still The Empire Strikes Back. I want to reiterate for people who didn't hear before, I do think going back to A New Hope is the better written movie. And I do think The Empire Strikes Back is actually goofier than people remember it to be when you watch them back to back. But The Empire Strikes Back just, you know, it hits home with its themes and what it's doing and its mood. So that's my long-winded list. Alex. That's amazing. Take it home. I'm going to start off and say, I'm probably going to echo many things you guys have said. So my first thoughts with The Rise of Skywalker is I have to throw back to Luke's line in The Last Jedi where he says, breathe, just breathe. (laughs) Like... This movie just moves at a million miles an hour. And I think I've said this actually about the previous two films as well, is that the charm of the original trilogy is, yeah, it just takes moments to breathe, to settle into a cool location, to have an intimate moment with a character, which just builds your connection to them and and your understanding of them. And this is moving at a million, a million miles an hour and not having any of those moments another thing that kind of really stood out for me was yeah what felt like very deliberate digs at the last jedi and some of the choices ryan johnson made you know i went back and watched that recently um, in the build-up to this and you know it's certainly not my favorite film and there's some choices in it that I really don't like and yes we've talked about the edit and how it's really long the things that it gets right I think are fucking really 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 cool I feel a little uncomfortable at the way that they've kind of tried to join those dots and how they've done that I felt like a few of the bits in the movie just felt a little bit too disrespectful and a dig at that but that threw me off a little bit but that's no one's fault and for me it's just like well that's Disney's responsibility for not having a a story arc at least, a framework that these different directors could have worked under or saying, okay, JJ, you direct the first one and you sort of produce the next two under your story framework and still get people in and bringing in their own ideas. But like having a through line and a thread because you get here and it feels like, like you said, going back to The Force Awakens and forcing what his sort of endpoint was into the last jedi and and like finding ways to dismiss the stuff from the last jedi that he didn't want to use so it could align with what his original vision was can we all agree that it, this doesn't work as a trilogy absolutely one of the first things i said to bethany when we were on the drive home was this doesn't feel like a cohesive trilogy like the original one They all had their own sort of style and feel, but it felt like a trilogy, whereas this doesn't. I mean, I remember at the end of Last Jedi, we were saying that that didn't feel like a middle part of a trilogy. Like, it felt like the start of something. So, they're just three very different, or like Force Awakens and this feel connected, but then you've got Last Jedi. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a trilogy, for sure. I agree with that. Are you disagreeing, Christina? Does it work for you? Yeah, I think so. But in saying all of these things that I'm saying, and these kind of... Slight little critiques. 
I fucking really enjoyed it. I really, really <laughs> yeah, enjoyed it. And good. when we came out of the cinema, I said to Bethany that I came out of it with such a sense of joy, like a real sense of joy. I don't know if that was because, yes, it was the kind of end of this saga as they pitched it or whether it's because, um, you know, maybe I changed my attitude going into it and I was like, I just want to enjoy it in that same way I would have as a kid because it's new Star Wars stuff. But I just fucking it was a had spice it. talking. Yeah, I just had a great, great time with this film. Yes, I would have loved for it to have sort of slower moments and take its time, but it moved me from one moment to the next in a way that I just didn't stop enjoying or I didn't start feeling bored with it. And unlike any of the previous two films, and I wish I could have had this further. I was so invested with these characters this time around so emotionally invested and i found myself being emotionally moved at different moments more than i had previously and i think that was down to the writing and how they connected the people but also the performances i think everyone found their right place with their characters i think daisy ridley was really great in this because like watching force awakens back again watching overall finding more reasons why I appreciated and liked it, but then still seeing bits in her performance that are just so bad. Like just that bit where she's like, Master Luke, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, re- it's like she's reading off a card. Like it still blows my mind. Whereas in here, she just felt so present, so grounded, really showed wonderful layers between that sort of dark side pull and the light. I mean, Adam Driver, what can you say? There's no other actor in this whole, any Star Wars film that comes close to what he has brought to that character. And it was just so enjoyable to watch. And the scene with Han Solo, I think, is probably one of my favorites ever. So, like, yeah, just thinking about it now, I'm already choking up. I really enjoyed this film. You know, I think a lot happens. It's a little bit messy at times, but yeah, but it it was really enjoyable and it sort of hit all the things that I love about Star Wars. There were wonderful, wonderful world building, wonderful practical sets and makeup and puppets and great chemistry between the characters. I sort of say it and sort of think, well, why couldn't we have had this throughout? Why is it kind of just found these nice rhythms now? Yeah, the Palpatine stuff, I mean, I've always enjoyed that character and I thought this was a really cool take with it I loved how he was introduced and it's all sort of had a very horror feel to it and you know the Sith stuff at the end was a little bit confusing there's nothing more that I can say other than thinking about it now and I'm definitely going to see it again within the next few days is that I just have such an overwhelming sense of joy for what this film did and how it turned out so I'm intrigued now Alex because, yeah, I'm just looking for you. are absolutely right. My list has basically changed to your old list, other than Rise of Skywalker being inserted. So what is your new list? So like you, Al, from, what are we, 12 to 8, it's going to be exactly the same. So I've got Clone Wars at 12, Attack of the Clones at 11, Revenge of the Sith at 10, Phantom Menace at 9, Last Jedi at 8. Although saying that, my appreciation... Of Last Jedi certainly increased when I last watched it. Yeah, there's bits that I really, really love in that film. Seven is The Force Awakens. I think that's definitely going to stay there. I think that's unchanged. Now, I am going to say... So six actually is still going to stay the same, Return of the Jedi. Now, my next three, 
my five, four, and three, I feel are going to be films that are constantly going to rotate in their position. So right now, I'm going to put, and this could change in a few days when I see it again, but I'm going to put Rise of Skywalker next at number five. That's still above Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Like That's a very noble place for a new film to hit. At four, just because I haven't watched this one most recently, but I'm going to drop Solo down to four. What and the then hell is your I'm three? Just to, you're just trying to dodge those angry people who give us <laughs> shit and laugh in our face sometimes. Hey, Alex. look, I sometimes love Solo. Sometimes on this very I'm, podcast, we've been laughing. And at. I'm telling, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, gosh, don't, don't get started. <laughs> Look, I love Solo. I think it's a great film. And I said, these ones are going to be very interchangeable, I think, for the time being. Rise of Skywalker may go up or down, depending in the next sort of while. But I'm going to put Rogue One at three, uh, just because I watched it again recently. I mean, I just love, yeah, the aesthetic and the look of this and the tone and the grittiness and it's just uh, yeah the end like just having all our heroes die was just watching it back and just being like oh god they followed through with all of that like it's there's just some braver choices here that and there's some in solo as well for sure but that you certainly don't get in the new trilogy that i really appreciate and so my top two i am actually going to swap around for the first time, and I've been thinking about this a lot, but I'm going to put A New Hope as my number one and Empire as my number two. And these two, I think, are going to constantly swap around. I think when we did this list as well, it was very difficult for me because for me, they're on really equal footing. I agree, Alec. The themes of Empire Strikes Back are just really strong and there's some really wonderful moments in that. Rewatching A New Hope, with you guys and then I watched it again recently it was on TV and there is just a timeless sort of magic to that film yeah there's something about it that I just absolutely love I think maybe as well because I look at it almost now as a standalone film like I don't even I'm not even attaching it to the rest of that original trilogy or this wider story and there's just a real depth and magic to it that I really really love and so that's where my list is currently but I feel from Force Awakens up, those ones, like the top two are always going to potentially go back and forth. And then the three following that will always kind of rotate, I feel. And it's like you said, none of them are perfect. There's something wonderful, magical in each of these films. And and that's the thing that gets me on Twitter when people are just going back and forth and arguing like this film. there. It's like there's so many and, you know, each one will have something you love. So just love the ones you love and watch the ones you want to watch and Whatever mood strikes you, enjoy it. And once you dislike, that's it's fine. It's cool. Like you don't have to. Do you know what I mean? It's because yeah, it becomes so ambitious and toxic. And it's look, just we like, wanted just so people know we were trying to organize it so heaven would be on this last podcast, which would mean this podcast would have been six hours long rather than four hours long that it is or whatever. She's our new friend who's crazy into. If you guys haven't heard her, like go and listen to our Blow Witch show. But she's crazy in Star Wars. But she grew up with the prequels because she's that young. And it was really interesting for me and Alex to hear her perspective on things. And I hope we'll get her on a regular episode later, well, at the beginning of 2020. So then she can say her feelings about this film. But yeah, we have conversations with her. I hate all three of the prequels, but I respect the Phantom Menace's, you know, story. 
but I hate the other two. I think they're absolute trash, like absolute trash. I couldn't hate them more than I do. And every time I go back to them, I realize just how much I hate them. Just as objective movies, not as a Star Wars fan at all, because I don't care that much. And she loves them. And we can have nice conversations about that. And we can respect each other's opinions. And she can go back to, the, like you're saying, the films that she likes. And we can go back to the films that we like. And that's my thing here is like, yeah, there are seven films in this series. Out of 12 films, there are seven that I think are great for different reasons and i have so much warmth towards this series now the more they add to it i'm like yeah nothing's ever quite perfect but just so much that i like holding on to all right guys we're done we for did another it. year we now we don't know what's next there was meant to be ryan johnson's trilogy that hasn't been talked about in a while his new trilogy not counting last jedi there was meant to be the game of thrones guys were doing one that just got cancelled fairly recently there are and rumors circulating of a kylo ren prequel with adam driver we obviously have a load of disney plus stuff coming so there will be things happening over there so instead like we are actually we're not going to talk about what the future holds because we're going to very quickly pitch something to christina right now and i know she has to go so she might feel pressured to say yes and then what is it <laughs> what is so, it christina, i don't know if you know about it but the mandalorian has been on disney plus it's one of the race disney plus launched and it's been selling so well this is the new star wars tv series right it's the first live action Star Wars TV show. It yes. is big budget. It's run by John Favreau. It has loads of great directors. Taika Waititi directs one. Bryce Dallas Howard directs one. Um, there's a lot of like cool people attached to it. And you will have seen Baby Not Yoda everywhere because he's like in all the memes, all the gifts at the moment. Everybody loves him. So you want me to watch it? Well, this is the deal. While they've been coming out, I've been editing them into a movie because there's only eight episodes and they're about 35 minutes each once you cut out the fat so it actually turns out to be a sort of three hour 40 minute movie at the end of okay. it, which is sure long but it's like an avengers movie okay. so i'm editing it into a movie and then we were gonna pitch that we should do an extra episode in the beginning of 2020 to cover the mandalorian as a film essentially and see how it yeah. shows up as a movie i'll watch it you're into it okay i haven't She's seen in. anything of it but i'll watch She's it in. i heard good things about it so <laughs> yeah people love it People like, whether it works as a movie or not we'll find out but i just felt that's a way for us to tackle that and i'm not editing anything out by the way i'm just editing out end and front sequences and you know segues and stuff like that so it okay okay awesome cool. okay so you will hear from us in 2020 with a new star wars episode and then we can talk about the future of star wars because there might be more info by now by then because there isn't now i'm mr al white on everything you can follow me on all of the stuff and you can listen to again our horror show by going to weird geeks and subscribing and rating it by the time this goes up i hope you've all had a good christmas i'm not sure exactly what day this is going up i want to watch this film again go see it again man then no. we can talk then you can talk about it again on Armando podcast christina how can people tell you that you're a wonderful human being and to go to cinemas at 6 p.m rather than 7 p.m <laughs> you could tell me how much you hate me as a Star Wars podcaster on at underscore hi Christina on Instagram and on Twitter. Thank you very much. Alexander Charles. Yeah, find me on Twitter or Instagram at Alexander Chard. Share some Star Wars love. But you hated this film, don't you? And you just want to talk about it. <laughs> Everybody out there, have a lovely Christmas and a wonderful new year. We will see you every week with all of our crazy content. Be kind to each other. Be kind to each other. Hug each other inappropriately long. Do what and... Ray would do. <laughs> yeah, just do what Ray would do. And if you feel scared by anyone at Christmas, because sometimes we put in scary situations, just say, no, 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 thank you, and back out. All right. <laughs> and if so things happen, if people say things, just go, what?
<laughs> no matter how inappropriate. All right, we'll be back in January. Until then, we're out, geeks. 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 <laughs>